Welcome to the Monday Lorians. We're a pirate bar that. Oh, no, sorry, wait a sec. We're not a bar anymore. We're a podcast. We're here discussing all things Star Wars on a Monday, as per the title. And despite my warning last week that this might be out on Friday, there's enough of a gap in our Bad Batch season, so these are going to run on and off Mondays and Fridays. It'll make sense. Here we explore the stories, themes, characters, and hopefully have a lot of fun along the way. And I'm here. Uh, I'm not. I always forget to say. And I'm rejoined. Uh, delighted to have you back. Darren, who you may remember from our Andor season. Darren, how's it going? Grand. I do like the idea that the Monday Lorians is no longer strictly a Monday Lorian podcast, much as the same way that the protagonist of the Mandalorian is arguably currently not a Mandalorian himself. I like it. Thematic resonance. But also, not only is he potentially not a Mandalorian, but there's so many Mandalorians in it. He should just be called a Mandalorian. <laughs> not the definitive article. It's, yeah. Drop the the. It's cleaner. <laughs> it seems like he's appropriating an entire culture. So if I call myself the Welshman. Yeah, he doesn't appear for seven minutes in his own season premiere, which is quite impressive. Like, it's, mm. it's quite impressive that the opening scene of this episode does not feature him at all until they remember, oh, yeah, Sugar, it's his show. You should probably pop I, in. I think I said this during the, the cursed Book of Boba Fett season we did. <laughs> but they, they they could have really called the Book of Boba Fett also the Mandalorian, and it still <laughs> makes sense. Another People Mandalorian. Got... Yeah, More Mandalorian. A... Mandamorian. Just another Mando movie, or whatever. <laughs> what was those teen movies? Because you demandoed uh, it. Um... Because you demanded. Well, they really did. They really did get that guy out of a Sarlacc pit. <laughs> For the enjoyment of some. <laughs> Selective. Anyway, that's enough about the Book of Boba Fett, though I'm sure we'll come back to it. Book. Um... <laughs> the Book. The Book of... Oh, no. That's... I'll leave it alone. I'll leave it alone. But uh, yeah, here we are this week. As everyone might know, we're back to discussing the podcast's namesake, uh, The Mandalorian. And we're going to be discussing Chapter 17, aka Episode 1 of Season 3, titled The Apostate. This one's directed by Rick Fami- Famiua, who is also, I think, now a series exec producer of some description. Yeah. He's got some creative pull, which is nice. Yeah. And written by John Favreau, as me and Graham established, best known for <laughs> ruining the Lion King. Because <laughs> Whiskle, yeah, please. No offense to John Favreau. But he we had a whole like story a nice about guy. it. No, he like is a-, a nice guy. I, I just. I, I I told Graham a whole story about my very hungover experience seeing one scene from the Lion King remake, and it's, it's poisoned my worldview, more or less. Anyway, everyone, go and listen to the last episode with me and Graham for that story. This is how I promote the show now. Just... <laughs> I'm using anecdotes from earlier <laughs> episodes. Gatekeeping anecdotes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Darren, I we had you on for Andor, which was, of course, a delight on multiple levels, because Andor was great. And it was lovely to have you on talking about it. So people who've listened to that one may have an idea, but for people who haven't, what is your relationship with The Mandalorian overall? 
Yeah, I mean, this is kind of an uncomfortable question because it's like, I generally think The Mandalorian is fine. Um, mm. I think, like, The Mandalorian is a show that in its first season I thought was perfectly adequate on a consistent week-to-week basis. It was recognizably Star Wars content that hit all of the sweet spots of being Star Wars. You know, there was a cool Yoda-like baby in it. There was a bounty hunter who looked like Boba Fett. There were lasers. There were desert planets. There were ice planets. There were forest moons. Everything. And I mean, yeah, I mean, to be fair, I do. I do believe that the next Lucas project is to digitally insert Bill Burr into all the previous Star Wars. That's, that's the next plan. Um, but I do. I, I, you know, I don't love it. I didn't think it was amazing or mind blowing. I was kind of a little bit surprised by the reaction to it, how strong it was in terms of this is the best thing in the history of the franchise, where I was just like. This is fine. It's competently made. It's made by people who clearly care about what they're doing. It scratches that itch and giving me what I want for the franchise, but it doesn't transcend in the way that like the best of the Star Wars stuff does. And I mean, you know, we talked about Andor, but I mean, even things like say The Last Jedi, I would argue The Force Awakens, you know, The the Empire Strikes Back, the original Star Wars, all that sort of stuff. I mean, even the prequels, you know, are, are kind of interesting and ambitious in their own way, whereas Mando is just kind of... It's, just keeps chugging which is respectable but not necessarily what i want from like big franchise entertainment and i think i will admit i got a little bit um tired maybe would be the way to describe my response to the second season where it was like mando more mando lore as it were where they just kept piling in tie-ins crossovers references hidden pilots allusions to building the shared star wars universe on disney plus because obviously the mandalorian is the flagship show where it's like we're going to bring in bo katan from the animated series we're going to bring in ahsoka tano and you know as from the animated series but also to launch her own live action series played by rosario dawson we're going to introduce the dark saber as a toy that you can now buy for something like 80 dollars at the end of the that season. was season one in fairness the dark saber. Oh, was the dark saber? That was like that was like the very last scene. Was Jim oh, okay. uh, with that? But, you know. Yeah, I think I gave it like I. I think I didn't dock the first season for the <laughs> final shot. I was like, okay, you get a pass. But instead, the second season is just all of that all of the time, mm. which was kind of like distracting for me and kind of took me out of it. Um, and I, you know, and again, obviously the CGI Luke stuff, which is to my mind, uh, perhaps controversially, an abomination against God. Um, and like, it's just something that should not happen and should not be something that we encourage as a culture. Um, and I think that that's my kind of complicated relationship with the Mandalorian. I think the first season is fine. The second season embodies a lot of what I do not care for about modern franchise media, which is the idea of like being constructed primarily of synergy and tie-ins to get you to watch other things that you have either already watched because you're interested in or don't want to watch but now have to because you feel like they're part of the assigned reading for the course that you've signed up for okay well i'm sorry i'm going to subject you to 90 minutes on more of this (laughs) (laughs) no jokes aside yeah, jokes aside, I, I, we will talk about the third season. Pre- I think the third yeah. season premiere is a step up from the second season, but we'll get to that. <laughs> well, that is kind of what I for- formulated as kind of the question of this episode for us to discuss is, is this episode a tale of redemption in an in-universe and meta level? 
I don't think so, because I don't think The Mandalorian conceives of itself as a show that needs to be redeemed. In many ways, like, The Mandalorian is the show that redeemed Star Wars, in inverted commas, where you had, and again, this is the weird thing where you talk about Star Wars, where these movies all made over a billion dollars, were massively impactful. You know, one of them was the biggest movie of all time. Two of them were the highest grossing movies of their years. Like, the only one that was an out-and-out flop was Solo. Even fucking like, uh, you know, The Rise of Skywalker performed reasonably well at the box office. But you had this narrative of like fans being alienated from the sequel movies and all this sort of stuff. And The Mandalorian had the narrative of redemption already around it, where it served to launch Disney Plus. It was the jetpack that kind of like powered Disney Plus like a Mandalorian flying through the sky. Uh, It's, you know, every you could argue that you know obviously the pandemic was a huge part of it but those early disney plus subscriber numbers um initially surpassing expectations on launch were pretty much solely down to the mandalorian um it placed i believe on nielsen's like you know it was what fifth sixth on nielsen's top 20 original streaming shows for 2020 uh despite the fact that they uh, did they release any episodes that's that year oh they did the second season that it's year, second season yeah yeah um but like again the, the highest placing non-netflix show on that list so like the mandalorian is the flagship of like disney plus it is what disney plus aspires to it is the thing that the marvel shows look at and point and go can we be like this and i think the question to ask about the third season isn't is this is this an act of redemption It's a question of, like, what exactly is this trying to do, both in-universe and out-of-universe? Where this feels like a project that has, like, three contradictory (laughs) objectives driving it. Where, like, it is trying to do three things that are radically different and in many ways mutually exclusive. Where the first thing is that it has been, as you said, the last, the second season of The Mandalorian was in 2020. That is, you know, three years ago now, two and a half years ago because it aired late. A, a good season. year, if I remember that one. Yeah, I mean, everybody's celebrating 2020. I mean, like, I feel like, yeah. you know, it was just one where, you know, nothing bad happened that mm. year, as far as I can remember. In fact, nothing happened that year, I think, as far as I can remember. Yeah, I think we skipped that one. <laughs> yeah, and, and 2021 and most of 2022. <laughs> but, like, it, it is a, a show that premiered two and a half years ago. And as you kind of alluded to, those two and a half years felt like a decade. Um, Mm. where like there is this sense of like this show was the most popular show on Disney Plus but it has been a while since the show has been on so the primary thing this show has to do this episode has to do is to remind you how much you love The Mandalorian it's to be like hey you like this show right and you like this show because it has the cool Boba Fett guy with the shiny armor it's got dudes with jetpacks it's got cool monsters it's got baby Yoda it's got like cool ships it's got space battles it's got laser battles it's got standoffs in the street and this kind of checklist of all the things that you expect to be in a Mandalorian episode and that you enjoyed seeing over the past two years are kind of run through like item by item by item so that's the first thing it has to do second thing it has to do is to catch you up on all the stuff that they for some reason put in the book of Boba Fett. Like there's a whole bunch of stuff here where like, imagine just you imagine you are again, I don't know the demographics watching this show. I have to imagine a lot of them are young people who know modern media and have like navigated shared universes. But let's say my dad, let's say my dad is watching this show and he's used to watching linear television, which is like you watch NCIS, you watch the next season of NCIS. Then you watch the following season of NCIS. And that's how you follow these stories. 
imagine going from the second season finale of The Mandalorian, which ends with Mando mm. giving Grogu to Luke Skywalker to go off to Super Special Jedi School. And then this season opens with, oh, by the way, Grogu and Mando are just together again for some you, reason. You, you misunderstand, Darren. It's an homage to Dallas. He woke <laughs> up in the shower and Grogu was back. I like to imagine he was wearing the dream. helmet. Yeah, he was wearing the I helmet. Too, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like that, that that's the thing where it's like, it does feel, and again, how, I don't know how up to date you are in the MCU. Have you seen Quantum Mania yet? I have not. And okay. I actually, I actually do want to, because for my sins, I really like the Ant Man ones, and everything everyone says about this one makes me think, <laughs> oh god. I have seen Modok, and I'm all for it. It looks disgusting. <laughs> Which is what you want from your your short little stubby leg guy. I want to throw up when I go to the cinema. Is that too much to ask for? You want a big bucket of popcorn? You can just vomit into. Oh yeah. Um. What I would say is that, like, that is an example. It feels like Disney are now kind of reaching the point where the idea was, could you buoy these shows by tying them to other shows? So could you get people who are watching The Mandalorian to tune in automatically to Andor, to tune in automatically to Book of Boba Fett? And could you assume that they were all this one kind of, like, fungal network of shows where it was just one big story that unfolded across multiple arcs? The idea that, like, I think a lot of comic book movie fans think the MCU is, but it's not really... Where, like, fans are like, oh, my God, Endgame is the culmination of, like, eight, you know, what, 11 years of storytelling. And I'm like, no, my mom watched it and asked why Batman wasn't in it. She was able to follow it fine. Um, She was able to come in relatively cold. She watched Infinity War and completely forgotten about it, but was able to keep up because of how these things are structured. And it's like, here you have the... So, the reason I mentioned... Which I, which I would just say... I. I'd see that as a compliment to Marvel that they made that film, and Absolutely. it is understandable. I think that is good. Yeah. No, no, like I'm not criticizing it. Like that's it's a good. very good. Yeah, that's a very good business model. Yeah. I, I think that there's a tendency in the way the fans talk about these things to miss what they actually are, and to miss like why they work for people who aren't fans. Like mm. why why these movies become the biggest movies of all time has nothing to do with like how many people argue about things on Twitter. You know, it has to do with the fact that my dad can go and see them and just hop in and follow along. And I think that that's a kind of a reckoning that Disney seemed to be having a little bit now, where, again, very brief spoilers for Quantumania. It's in the posters. It's in the tagline. The character of Kang is in the movie. I don't think that counts as too much of a spoiler, right? Holy but cow. I know. Whew. Well, no I thought Kang it was in Creed 3. No Kang do. Um, I mean, look, <laughs> that, that's, a, that's I think we're seeing the emergence of a major's new star, if you ask me. Mm. Um, Creed 3 is great. Go see 3 Creed. But, oh, I will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's. I love taking this podcast, putting it firmly at a place and time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can figure it down almost to the day that this was recorded using these references. <laughs> um, what I would say though is the the point that I was going to make about Quantum Mania uh, and how it relates to this is that like Quantum Mania introduced the character of Kang. Right, Kang was already introduced in the season finale of Loki. In the season finale of Loki, Kang has a whole ten minute monologue in which he explains who he is what he wants to do, what his purpose is, right? Now, you go to the cinema and you watch Quantumania, and Disney have done the maths. They know that, like, they want my mom and dad to be able to watch Quantumania having not watched Loki. So you watch Quantumania, and Kang shows up, and what does he do? He spends 10 minutes explaining who he is, what he does, and what he wants. Uh, there is a sense of, like, redundancy built into it. And you have that here, where a large part so of this... just replay the scene? 
Yeah, that's it exactly. They they, <laughs> they they play the scenes from like the Book of Boba Fett in the previously on, right? And then mm. ten minutes later, they have the armorer pretty much repeat verbatim what you have already seen her say in the previously on, in case you didn't catch it in the Book of Boba Fett. In case you hit like in case you hit this like skip previously because you're like, I, I remember the second scene in the Mandalorian. Boing. Well to skip skip ahead a bit, I did find it very funny when they get to Carl Webber's office and he's like, Why are you still doing this? Didn't you finish? the storyline he kind of just acts as like if we ask the question it's not silly uh what uh, yeah i want to i want to come back to that because i think that's Listen, that's yeah. like, that's that's the third thing so the second thing it does is it brings you up to speed with everything you missed on that spin-off that you may not have watched and then the third like competing thing on top of a just being a standard like mando adventure b being like by the way everything has changed since the last mando adventure c is by the way this is a completely new mando adventure as well where it's like we're setting up the stakes for presumably what this season's going to be favre has talked about having written the fourth season i have to imagine this is going to be a thing where every two seasons of the mandalorian are their own thing where it's like by the way and now for something completely different because as you're you're right like they, they show up on navarro and like cargo's like it it really feels like the show that you were on kind of ended mando would you like to retire you can live off the fat of the land you have saved disney plus you have rehabilitated star wars you have redeemed the franchise you can lay down your burdens and collect an easy paycheck why are you doing so this there's a job vacancies because cara dune died on her way back to her home planet <laughs> i think her home planet also died on her way back yeah. to her home planet but yeah cara done <laughs> um I, I like just the right amount of dealing and acknowledging with that where it's like yeah. you don't need to have any further questions about this character <laughs> so oh, sorry mando she, <laughs> cara dune made some weird space tweets <laughs> The New Republic, they've got some very stringent uh, social media policies here. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like that that's the thing about it where like I don't think it's an act of redemption. I don't think it's trying to redeem the show. I think it's trying to like remind you of how popular the show was when it went off the air two and a half years ago. Bring you up to speed on a bunch of stuff that happened on a show that it assumes you didn't watch, even if you did. And then see also be an entirely new show at the same time and that's that's an incredible amount of work for like a 40 minute premiere that opens with a seven minute battle of somebody shooting miniguns at a giant turtle monster um and like that that isn't me criticizing it like i actually do think that favreau does a remarkable job with like with all of this that he has to smooth into 40 minutes of television um yeah no that's a that's a very good answer i think i i suppose i look at it Almost like, I guess because I'm I'm like you. The season finale of Mando Two left me really in a bad, bad place with it for multiple multiple reasons. But a lot of it is just to do with the culminating overt fan service throughout that entire season. Yeah. I still think there's some really good episodes here and there. Like you know, a show that opens with uh, Din Djarin teaming up with Timothy Oliphant to fight a dragon. You know, yeah. <laughs> Pretty, pretty good way to open a season. Sand Jaws. Like, they literally Sand do the Jaws. shot from Sand Jaws. They do, like, the dolly, the dolly zoom on oh. Oliphant, which I loved, yeah. They they, they strap bombs to a cow. <laughs> like, it's it's a really good episode. So I guess, um, in comparison, like, this is a very low-key, low-energy kind of stretch to a season, which I don't see as bad, necessarily. I, I like that they're kind of setting some ground. I Again, this is 
probably inside baseball, I don't know if this is of any interest to your listeners, but like in terms of media coverage, it's very revealing that like, as far as I'm aware, they did not send out screeners of the season before it started. But literally as soon as this episode aired, people started getting notifications from Disney PR. By the way, you can now watch the first two episodes as a press screener. Ooh. And it, it, it's really revealing that Disney are like, as soon as it, like the press have seen the first episode, we want to make sure they can watch the second episode because that's that's what we want to push. Because this does feel like it's a lot of setup. It feels like this is yeah. a lot of like laying groundwork. Um, and it's like, that's not what the season's going to be. I think you're right. The second season didn't have that but that burden. It would it could just continue, mm. you know, it could just pick up. Yeah, and but I like that this one, it feels like the stuff they're setting up is stuff that's kind of, except for one thing, which we'll get to, is stuff that's kind of contained to this story. Like, oh, the Mandalorian is on a quest, something to do with Mandalore. It's not, <laughs> I need to go and meet uh, Watto to ask him about some <laughs> ship engine post. <laughs> Watto's like, long-awaited return. I would love well, to see... I would love to see, like, Disney trying to, like... Rehabilitate Watto. About about to say, like, manage the very thorny issues around Watto's presentation. Where you're watching him and you're like, I know he's offensive. I don't know which specific ethnic group he's offensive towards. Yeah. It could be several of them. And I would love to see Disney just, like, wrestle with that rattlesnake. Dude, he's such an amazing, like, Schrodinger's cat of a racist caricature. Yeah. That you, you you do forget that his character is also a slave owner. Yeah. He, he's so far gone, you forget that. <laughs> I kind of love how audacious Watto is. <laughs> now, to be fair, Attack of the Clones does make the case he's a good slave owner. <laughs> Put a bomb in a kid's head. Oh, he's such a... What, what a guy. What a charmer, yeah. A little, a little stinker. Um. Uh, but yeah, so the stuff in the show is about the show, you know? Yeah. And at least Bo-Katan now is like kind of a Mandalorian character in this show. And I appreciate that. And there's some little things scattered in. Like, um, I suppose we'll get to it. I think this is my only thing in this, this whole episode. It's got its ups and downs, but there's only one thing I'm really worried about. Uh, and this, this, you might, I don't know if you know about this. There is a scene where they're going through hyperspace and Grogu sees space whales, which uh, is, of course, a reference to James Cameron's outstanding success with Avatar 2. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's it. That's all it is. That's no, really all not. it could be. No, it, Disney are like, everything needs to have whales in it now. That's that's the yeah. thing. We're digitally inserting whales into Quantum Mania in its fourth weekend. That's the plan. In fact, we're going to shoot Willow in whales. Wait, that's the wrong way around. That already happened. But <laughs> Aha, one for the folks at home who watched Willow. Did anyone watch Willow? I haven't watched I it watched yet. Willow. Is that right? What's it like? Yeah. It is the statistical mean <laughs> of a streaming service show. Like, it is so statistically average. It is astounding. You reach the finale and you're like, I can tick off everything this is going to do. There's going to be like colored beams being blasted at one another. There's going to be something vaguely resembling a theme, but not specific enough to a particular theme that it might upset the internet. There's also going to be several characters who appear to die, but then do not die because the show has realized they may have a Twitter fan base and you don't want to alienate those people. It is remarkable how like pure straight down the middle modern eight hour movie streaming show that show is. Well, damn, Darren, you know I worked in it, right? Did you? Uh, I was a location marshal. <laughs> that's, that's, I, you know, did, I will joking. say it, it looks gorgeous. The, the seventh episode looks absolutely gorgeous. The one they shot on the beaches and stuff. The one they shot oh, on that, the... that's the one I was working on. That's really, really? funny. Was it? Yeah, I, was there, I was there for the whole thing. 
it's gorgeous. Like it's a really that's a really gorgeous episode. Yeah, um, no, it was my idea. It was all yours. It was all, it was <laughs> yeah. all me. Credit <laughs> in fact i actually like sent back the script originally on the script they're supposed to be going over some hills or some shit yeah, and i was yeah. like you know what put it on a beach have it on an ocean um yeah I, let me talk to warwick yeah <laughs> we have some notes um <laughs> how did you get in here <laughs> <laughs> that, that's always a great question but yeah so um this episode i i see i don't see a lot of talking about this and i think part of this is like online, I don't see as much a buzz, and I think maybe part of that is the lack or the rather toned back references and the lack of screeners put out. But I know people are up and down on it. Sorry, I've gone off track from the whales. I made a <laughs> stupid joke and forgot what the actual information I was meant to impart. Were you, were you going to talk about the Ezra stuff? The idea that's setting yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, what, what Nile is saying is that like the whales were in the Speed Force, and it does look like Ezra Miller may be joining the Star Wars franchise. That is clearly what you're exciting. Really... Would it that would that be the adjective he would use? It, well, exciting can mean a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, everybody remembers that Oscar-winning moment where the Flash enters the Speed Force, right? <laughs> well, now it's going to happen in Star Wars. Why not? <laughs> uh, but yes, so these the space whales in question are called pergils and they are related to very strongly related to how star wars rebels ended which a, a follow-up was hinted at in the last season of this show when ahsoka yeah. shows up and it seems like that is essentially what the ahsoka show will be yeah so there's there's two ways of looking at this one is this might just be a nice little scene because these are space whales who travel by hyperspace and it makes for a, a nice scene yeah. Or else this is going to be a huge thing that ties into the season, <laughs> setting up another show or two other shows. And as I think everyone can guess if they made it 25 minutes into this or how long we've been talking. I don't think I, I don't think we want that. That's kind of the <laughs> antithesis of everything we've said so far. That we liked about like Mandalorian is that it was a simple back to basics show that did Star Wars stuff, as opposed yeah. to being a poetic commercial that reminds you of things you can watch on Disney Plus. As opposed to being the part of the sequel to the sequel to the Clone Wars, which is a sequel to Attack of the Clones. You know, yeah. I, I think it's just too much of a jumble at that point. We need to, like, I'm fine if that's what the Ahsoka show wants to be, but these these things can be separate. We don't need them all in one stew. Yeah, content soup. I think is is how I described it somewhat like arrogantly, but yeah, like content soup, where everything just doesn't have a shape, like where yeah. the Boba Fett becomes like season two point five of the Mandalorian for two episodes. Where like this story about Boba Fett founding like a union of bounty hunters, which is a plot point lifted directly from Ghost Point Blank, and I kind of love it, um, is interrupted mm. for Mando buys a vintage car and Mando pulls his kid out of school early. Like it's it's. Very strange to think that you're in that writer's room pitching that show and you're like, so uh, the seven episode season, I have some pitches for episodes five and episode six. Um. It is just bonkers. I, I was wondering when this came out, was Disney Plus going to actually just put <laughs> the book of Boba Fett in oh, with them? In, yeah. So like just, as season, just people yeah. know that this will make zero sense. If you've not seen that. And I will go a step further. I don't think the the previously on recap actually does enough to explain <laughs> what the heck's going on. Well, I, I mean, I again, I don't know how seriously to take this. Because, I, you know, again, millennials and ironic humor and online humor and all this sort of stuff. Where, But I've seen people go, wait, those previously on scenes weren't in The Mandalorian. 
what ha- like where they deleted scenes like what what happened i think there's i think a lot of people are sincere i've seen this a lot online so far as people being like why is a baby back <laughs> which is just oh, it's such a problem i i swore i wouldn't get her too hung up on this because i do like i will give i will give this um this episode a lot of credit i think it just kind of hits the ground running yeah. and just is like let's let's not spend too much time on it because we got to get to a castle with Katie Sackoff in 40 minutes. <laughs> Which you think we need plenty of time to get there, but it's like, no, we also got to have a space battle, a gunfight. We got to have yeah. a giant turtle monster. We got to do a recap. Like it, it, it's, it's kind of impressive how like a roundabout Favreau makes the journey to Katie Sackoff in a space castle. <laughs> so, yeah. So I guess we're kind of odds and ends with it. I will say, like, yeah, overall, I I liked this fine. I thought it made for a very nice lunchtime viewing on a Wednesday. Because... Yeah, I mean, yeah. Sorry. Oh no, so I was gonna, I was just gonna say to update people, I I always seem to watch these episodes in the weirdest conditions, <laughs> and now it's just like sat in my office on a sofa outside, spending forty minutes of my lunch break watching The Mandalorian. <laughs> you know, it's better than the bus. <laughs> I, I love the idea of like the people in your office are like, don't interrupt Nile. Uh, it's his Mando time. <laughs> Mandatory viewing. Yeah. I just, once those headphones are in, just people don't bother me. <laughs> yeah. It's like, why is he making lightsaber noises? At his desk? It's just, it's a process. Don't ask. Um, why is he swearing at a baby so much? <laughs> I mean, why I is he so like, irate? But that, that is the, you mentioned the Grogu stuff and not want to get it hung up. It probably is worth unpacking where it does, feel like like again Favreau has talked about how for him the Mandalorian can run forever and part of me is like and again we we haven't talked too much about Favreau but like Favreau seems like a nice guy he seems like I I you know as skeptical as I am about like the franchise era in which we live I bear John Favreau very little ill will like I do not care for the Lion King I think it's it's a terrible movie and just about every way a movie can be terrible but part and of me then is they like, remade but, it I oh well well done okay. <laughs> well well played um but like I like um but I, I don't begrudge Favreau for that I'm like I don't see that as an unforgivable sin I look at like Chef which is like the most vanity project that ever vanity project which is like I made the MCU I get to make whatever movie I want I want to imagine a universe where like Sofia Vergara is my ex-wife and Scarlett Johansson is my current girlfriend and also I'm kind of best friends with Robert Downey Jr. who's married to my ex-wife and we're all just hang out and I cook Cubano sandwiches and I'm like this is the most absurd vanity project in the history of vanity projects but I'll allow it because you seem like you're a nice guy. Um, the Favreau is the only billion dollar director who would probably help you move if you asked him to. Uh, and he'd probably cook you a nice meal afterwards as well. And I think he's talked about how he imagines the show running forever. And part of me is like, that's Favreau, the good company man, where Favreau is the guy who it seems like whenever Disney have a problem with something, like bring in John Favreau because he'll he'll work hard on it, but he also won't have any strong opinions that will necessitate us firing him from the project. If we give him a note, he will take the note and he will implement it in a way that makes sense and he still has fun. Sorry, sorry. He was almost definitely the second or he was definitely the runner up for solo when they would kind of get a new director. You can feel that kind of he's on that level yes. of who's reliable, who can get it in on time. 
Yeah, well, I mean, the the real question is, like, was he actually runner-up for, like, The Mandalorian and was, like, Ron Howard the first choice? <laughs> was, like, was like that the, the Lucasfilm master plan? It's like, we got Ron Howard, he fixed Solo for us, let's see if he can do a TV show. Um, if, Solo, if Solo had made more money, he definitely would have. I, I don't think they blame. I don't think they blame. Oh, no, Howard. not blame. Yeah, yeah, but I think um, if, he, if, it, if that movie was knocked out of the park, they would have been high on their own supply, you know, said, <laughs> Ron Howard, it's the juice. Yeah. Um, finally, a visionary worthy of the franchise. Um, but like, and again, I, I don't mean that. Like, I'm not begrudging Favreau. It. Like, again, he seems to enjoy it. He he has a like a collaborative like atmosphere. He works with these directors. He works with these actors. Everybody speaks very highly of him. Like, even say Pedro Pascal, who is like one of the busiest men working in Hollywood, and you hear all those rumors about him in the suit. I mean, I like that. Like Bryce Dallas Howard is like the performance of Mandalorian is quote a collaboration between Pedro Pascal in the voice booth and various actors which we we must rush to uh to state include Pedro Pascal himself but also other actors who are not Pedro Pascal who perform in the suit but even he's like look they were very generous with the scheduling and they were very inventive in terms of allocating time like it was a very creative very like warm and fostering atmosphere but I do wonder like how much of like Mando continuing to run is Disney going to Favreau and saying oh, uh, we need more Mando. And he's like, uh, sure, yeah, yeah, I can do that for you. Um, where, like, the Grogu stuff feels like it's definitely part of that, where, like, I, I'm sure you've talked about this, but I admire Favreau's restraint with the premiere of The Mandalorian, where there was no teaser of Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda was a complete surprise to everybody watching. I, I love, by the way, that this episode also has a, his name is Grogu, and like uh, you have Carl Weathers, mm-hmm. I'm sure, if you say so, which feels like a very, he's Baby Yoda. That's what he is. Yeah. Um, but like the, the moment where, like the reveal of, of Baby Yoda is, is seismic because Disney are, again, we live in the world where spoilers are this big marketing tool, and you get people to watch by teasing all this stuff and promising all this stuff. And in fact, you end up with movies like, say, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, where fans are upset because they feel like they didn't get everything that they were promised in the movie. It's like, where was Nicolas Cage's Ghost Rider? Um, where was Ian Griffith's Mr. Fantastic? All these things that I hated when I saw them in movies, but now want to be nostalgically reminded hey, of. I- I bet they're coming back. Oh, I oh bet yeah. They are. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But that's that's a you know Secret Wars thing or a Kang Dynasty thing. That's not a Doctor Strange thing. And I think like Favreau, credit to him, kept like kept Baby Yoda out of the marketing. There were no toys. There were no dolls. There were no posters. Uh, there was no publicity. There were no gifts. Like Baby Yoda just hit the internet. Uh, and again, we should note in December 2019 right before Christmas. And you have to imagine that every Disney, and in fact, you don't have to imagine there are actual reports of this happening. So, you know, but like every Disney executive is shaking their fist at the sky going, we could have had baby Yoda plushies in the store, like for Christmas. You had all these reports about like Etsy was being flooded with counterfeit baby Yodas, like people making their own homemade baby Yoda dolls that you could buy for relatives at Christmas that Disney were clamping down on. And it does kind of feel like Favreau's story with Grogu ends with like him going off to train with Yoda, but Disney mm. kind of tap him on the shoulder and go, look, you got your one big swing at the start of the first season where we let you do it without any of the Christmas toys or any of the publicity, but now you owe us. And Grogu mm. is an essential part of this show's iconography. So I know that this, this story that we're setting up in the season looks to be very Mando heavy. Um, it doesn't look like a story that was designed with Grogu in mind. It doesn't look like a story that has a neat arc for Grogu as a character in it. But it's like, you're going to put Grogu in the show. 
And that's, you know, and again, part of me is like, that feels like why it happens in the book of Boba Fett, because they're like, the the third season premiere of Mandalorian better fucking start with fucking Grogu on the show, because if he's not in the first fucking 10 minutes of that show, we're going to have people jumped off. That's it. The show's done. It's canceled. Um, Like it, that there is that vibe to it where Grogu's appearance feels like it is kind of a creative compromise where it's like, well, Mandalorian is Mando and Grogu. It just has to be. That's what the show is now, right? It's crazy because I was thinking he comes back in Book of Boba Fett. R2-D2 flies him back into the series, <laughs> which don't get me started. But if that was, if that happened at the end of this episode, Grogu just shows up and you've got a bit of a mystery to the season of why is he, why is he flo- shown up again? What happened? <laughs> They've got something. They've got a bit of a hook. Instead, they they hijacked another show. <laughs> it, I'm usually very positive about Star Wars, even the Star Wars I don't like, but that's just a creative decision that just continues to baffle me. I mean, the more part, time goes on. Part of me also imagines that like the reason why they don't do that is precisely because you have, say, the Kylo Ren stuff that is a huge landmine in the sequel trilogy where Kylo Ren has this fandom and the fans are really upset that like the villain of the sequel trilogy is essentially a school shooter. So you and again, you, you're a massive Star Wars nerd. This is a massive Star Wars nerd podcast. We can talk about nerdy stuff. You have things like I think Charles Soule. Like his comic book run, mm. writing around that and trying to rewrite it and trying yeah. to rework it so that like Kylo Ren is no longer a school shooter, basically in the Star Wars universe. And part of me feels like if they did what you said, which is Kroku shows up at an end of an episode being driven by R2-D2, like the mystery box powering that season of what the fuck did Grogu do in Luke's school has this kind of like ominous weight behind it that draws like Kylo Ren to mind in a way that I don't think Disney wants. Like, I don't know. I think that'd be exciting. I do I love the idea of Luke it. being like, only twice did I try to murder a student. Only twice. <laughs> Yeah, if you get to three times, you're fired. I was yeah. a teacher. I know the rules. Also, that Charles Soule run, I really like Charles Soule. Is that how you say it? I, 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 I didn't. I say it that way, yeah. So. Yeah, I, I, I didn't think much of that run at all. I yeah. thought that was kind of gibberish, honestly. Well, Soul has a bit of a, again, we're getting very nerdy here, has a bit of a kind of a Favreau vibe to him, where you can tell that there are projects that he is very excited about, and you can tell mm. that there are projects where, like, Marvel, who are now his primary employers, are like, which we'd really like it if you do this editorial mandated thing for us. Where it's like his Daredevil run has this incredible story arc, which is, again, he's a lawyer, about like mm. Daredevil going to the Supreme Court and trying to convince them to accept testimony from superheroes in their secret identity. And you could tell that mm. is the good shit for Soul. You could tell it like when Soul pitched the run, he was like, I'm a lawyer. I want to do superhero lawyer nonsense. And the Marvel were like, sure. But the counterpoint is you also have to like put the genie back in the box and write basically one more day for Daredevil that resets at this stage, what, nearly 15 years of continuity going back to like Brian Michael Bendis's first proper arc on the comic. And when you're reading that, you're like, yeah, I can tell soul is not, not all there, like um, emotionally invested in the story. And that, that feels like a prime example of that. I would argue. But uh, his Darth Vader stuff, I think is really good. If I'm thinking the right one, I think he does the mainline comics. I'm not up to date with him. I, I fell off. I love comics, but I always, I always run into tr- problems when I drop them all. Yeah, I'm very and, all or nothing. Yeah, um, I, I like um, Gillen's Gillen's Darth Vader run is like one oh, of my yeah, favorite yeah. Comic book runs ever. Um, and like mm. licensed kind of die-in runs. 
Um, and I like Souls, and I think Pax is fine. Pax is interesting. I think you, I think there will be a lot to discuss about Greg Pax run because um, he 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 starts to bring in the sequel like mythology where you can see like again this is this is not a conversation for the scope of this episode the Mandalorian, but I guess it kind of is because he's he's flying a man uh, like a Naboo starfighter like where. Oh, yeah, yeah. Disney are kind of like folding in the prequels and like their big project mm. over the past three years has been, can we make the prequels a beloved part of the Star Wars mythos? It has been 20 years now. Uh, surely mm. fandom hatreds died down. Surely enough fans have come of age, the people who grew up with the prequels, that we can fold them in and have them accepted. And we won't have to deal with, say, the red letter media type crowd being very angry and shaking their fists at the sky going, these are like an offense. They, they assaulted my childhood in a moment, that, in a description that like, should have made everybody's skin crawl when people were using it and hopefully does now but like you can see them doing things like you know obi-wan kenobi is full of prequel stuff right down to using like obviously hayden christensen as well um but you have things like say the jedi temple challenge with um is this um i'm at best, best. I'm at best yeah uh yeah, Jar Jar yeah. Binks rehabilitation project yay uh but you also even like have like the naboo starfighter here which is a piece mm. of nostalgia for like the designs of the prequels rather than as is conventionally been the case, the original trilogy. And it does feel like if you look at, say, Greg Pak's Darth Vader run, like he starts doing a bunch of stuff and it's very weird because it's like, if you're going to rehabilitate the sequels, Greg, maybe manage your expectations. Whereas like he goes straight for like Rise of Skywalker, mm. where he starts taking stuff from like Colin uh, Trevorrow's deleted like Duel of the Fate stuff. You know, that like mutant. I Sith have read some of this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he does like Exegel and stuff like that as well, and Wayfinders and all this stuff. And you're like, this is ambitious. I admire what mm. you're doing. And it feels like what you're doing is laying pipeline for in about five years, we're going to see this stuff filter into the live action TV shows, which mm. is sequel nostalgia. Is that a thing? Can we test the water for it? it? It's already started, you know, it's already started. Last season of Mandalorian had Snoke uh, foreshadowing stuff in a cloning facility. Mm. They play a bit of his music even. Because. The thing is, like you said, the, the the kind of prequel rehabilitation is when like Clone Wars came out, people started to say, oh, this is making the prequels better. It's like, well, yeah, because it's just elaborating on them. Yeah. And if you give fans a lot of lore, even for saying they hate, they start to <laughs> like it. The, the more you explain something silly, the more they like it. And the more I committed them. you are. Because <laughs> I like, I think I always say this, if there's like a bad movie in a franchise... Uh, that's whatever but I prefer them to acknowledge it and kind of yeah. use it as a building block like you know yeah. we talked about Endgame earlier that uses For the Dark World as kind of a, a big part of it a big segment and it's, it's no one's favorite movie but at least they're like well it happened we did it let's do a scene around and it I mean there are two reasons for that the first is a the power move of we can do anything we fucking want let's rehabilitate yeah. the dark world which I admire that's very again imperial phase marvel it's like we can do yeah. no wrong <laughs> let's rehabilitate the dark world and the second thing is that because of like what 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 TT did with Ragnarok they mm. then also had like a bunch of actors whose contracts included a third film that they were eligible for like Rene Russo or like Natalie Portman, where she comes back and records a single line of ADR and fulfills her oh, contract yeah. for like her third Thor film. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of, again, love, love contract stuff. Like that's the great mm. thing about the franchise age. So much contract stuff. <laughs> and that's what, that's I think the reason I struggled with Rise <laughs> of Skywalker, because I know it's always going to be a point of debate. But it did feel like it was trying to do the opposite with Last Jedi. It didn't. Yeah. It didn't say and, 
or yeah, yes and improv. it said, said no but, but no. it was like yeah. bad improv apparently you know yeah i mean like it's like if you watch return of the jedi and luke goes to visit like uh yoda and it's like hey darth vader told me some really heavy stuff like he said he was my father and yoda's like no <laughs> just no <laughs> that's not <laughs> <laughs> what uh, yeah. he told you what <laughs> hear you i cannot um <laughs> no luke Nonsense. i am your father <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nonsensey talk. Um, yes. <laughs> I don't even remember what we were on with this, but it's uh, it's, it's been a fun run, anyway. <laughs> yeah. So cycle back up. Like, I think, we're, we're, like, did we get to? Have we talked through the episode in terms of like the introductory stuff with the the mask and stuff? Maybe I guess. Like, well, well, yeah, we can talk about that. So, yeah, the episode starts with uh, the armorer uh, making a. Uh, uh, a toy mask, it looks like. It, it does look very like it came out of a box from like a shelf on a toy store. And a lot of the costumes in this are great, I think. They they look yeah. like real army. And I don't know what the story with that one is. Was it like a something they put together quickly? Mask. <laughs> yeah. For a kid who I think I read before this is Jimmy Kimmel's son or something. God, to be that famous that you can just be like, hey, can you do me a solid and make my son a key part of Star Wars? Which almost makes me wonder, was it like a last minute thing? And that's why like, quick, get a mask. This role is now a child. That would Jimmy be Kimmel's kid is here and will not cut his hair. So we've got to construct the start of the season around him. I kind of love the idea of the entire seven minute scene, because obviously you don't need uh, like Pedro Pascal on set or recording dialogue for that. So I love Apparently the idea. Apparently you never that... do. Yeah. <laughs> I, oh, um, but like, I do I love, love the idea. Fancy. Yeah. Of that kind of like just being something that like Favreau, again, because Favreau is such a nice guy. He's like, well, what can I do with Jimmy Kimmel's son and a special effects budget and seven minutes of screen time to fill a uh, giant turtle attack, I guess. I, I just thought it was a giant gator, which just made me laugh. I just think it's it's, it's great. It's kind of reckless to like hold your baptism in water that like routinely features giant gators. Like, where was that thing hiding? The lake does not look that big relative to the size of the giant turtle gator monster. Well, they're the best like hunters and warriors or whatever in the galaxy. So you know, maybe it's part of the ritual. Maybe they wanted that to happen. <laughs> It really breaks things up. It keeps things interesting. I mean, like, I, I I, like that scene in large part because, again, it feels like it's one of those, this is what the season's going to be. It's leaning into the Mando <laughs> lore. Fucking <laughs> yeah. Eight episodes. Of, of seven minutes. I guess seven minute random shots of people attacking monsters that come out of the water. Um, but like, that's the big recurring motif across the season. Whenever there's a body of water, there's going to be a giant monster in it. Um, but like I do, um, I do. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but um, the the thing that I was gonna say was that yeah, I like that it kind of sets up the idea of like this is a Mando lore in season where it's like we're mm. gonna we're, like we're leaning hard on the backstory of the Mandalorian, so we're gonna literally begin with the construction of a helmet um, and the idea that it is symbolic and it's designed to remind you. Like when the scene opens, I'm like, is was this a flashback until? Like, until the Naboo starfighter flies overhead, I was like, is this a flashback to Jin's, like, origins? Because, like, mm. obviously he's going to try and get himself reconsecrated, uh, redeemed, as it were. Um, and, like, is this show then going to show us via flashback his journey into becoming a Mandalorian? And it kind of thematically is that, but it also is an excuse for a seven-minute giant gator fight. Um, and it's like, I like that as a 
thematic statement of purpose, if that makes sense. I think it's a nice way mm. to tell the audience like what this season's going to be, particularly if you wait until like the final minutes of the episode to get to Katie Sackhoff on her throne on her space castle, you know? Yeah, it, it's it's a fine opening. I think it. My only problem is it did feel this is this is a problem I've had all throughout the show. Is any time characters in are like a real like a real pickle, let's say, backs against the wall, the the solution is always another character comes in and rescues them. Yeah, that is kind of every time. There's no like real problem solving, but this works because it's a character intro. You know, we're trying to get back in the energy. Yeah. And I mean, it's if fine. if the gator had eaten all those characters, would anybody care? Like that's the like that's the thing. It, I I don't feel like it robs <laughs> them of any agency because I'm not like rooting for minigun Mandalorian. Is it Paz Vego or whatever? Is it? it's not Paz Vega. It's it's John Favreau. It's John Favreau. <laughs> um, it is. I honestly checked my watch when like minigun uh, Mandalorian appeared. I was like, how long is this scene gonna continue? Um. But like, I feel like we're just escalating. I'm waiting for 80s rocket launcher Mandalorian to materialize. Um, but like, I, I think like that that didn't bother me as much because as you said, like these are these are characters that nobody cares about. And I'm not like waiting for them to have their big moment. It's different when it's like the entire season finale and Luke Skywalker shows up and it's like, oh, is this your show here? Be a real shame if somebody were to walk in and steal it, wouldn't it? Um, but again, part of me is also- I'll give him back. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you get to pay it forward, Mando. This is how these things work now. Um, it's the only way we can get greenlit. Yeah. Literally, greenlit. I oh, But like, I do I do also um, kind of like the idea of it as a show. Like again, repeating that repetition that you see in modern franchises where like an earlier property did it, so now it's just what the franchise does. It's Han Solo riding to the rescue at the end of Star Wars. Like that's exactly what it is. It's Han Solo shooting Darth Vader's tie out of the sky. It's exactly that moment. It would have been cool if it was Han Solo. Then, then people would be tweeting about it. Which which one? Um, or both of them? A CGI compilation. Oh, they just blend the features. <laughs> yeah. Literally the devil. I don't know. It should yeah. just be a different actor. That that's the. It should just be a third actor to make an extra. Yeah. <laughs> and so all this is in service of getting to the title card for one. And then just having a scene where the Mandalorian kind of... <laughs> establishes what I think everyone assumed the season was going to be about. Well, everyone who watched Book of Boba Fett. He has to go and talk to the same character about the same thing. <laughs> really much. But you know what? That's fine because they acknowledge they need to get the show going for people who didn't watch that other show. Yeah. You know, you know, it's, it's, a it's, it's a pragmatic decision. Like, I understand it. As much as it seems... Like, the the problem here is not this episode. The problem is the Book of Boba Fett. Like, <laughs> Like, the solution is not to take the information out of this episode. It's not to put it in Book of Boba Fett in the first place. Um. <laughs> but what can we do? What, what What's happened has happened. And, yeah, and that's just to get him kind of to start the episode, to get him on the way to Navarro, which this is really weird because this happened, yeah. I think, the day this episode came out. was I, I think it was John Favreau was in an interview and said it has been... the. Grogu yeah. and the Mandalorian have been separated for two years. Yeah. Which I don't think was something that has ever been established <laughs> before. And that's fine now, because I guess what? you can kind of see things have changed, but it doesn't feel like that. I, yeah, part of me is how, how long did Mando wait to buy his new car? Like That's my question. Like, like, did he just use space buses for a while? Because I will say, I do like 
that first episode of Book of Boba Fett with just him, where he's just kind of going around. <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty good episode of The Mandalorian. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he goes, has a fight in a butcher shop and gets the bus. <laughs> that's, that's the story of my life, you know? <laughs> haggles over so haggles over a car and gets a new paint job um yeah and I, I think i like the mandalorian a lot when it is just him doing some bullshit mundane not stuff. necessarily like, yeah, yeah day-to-day business like just business because he's a businessman he works in trade you know yeah except now he's going through like a religious reawakening <laughs> so that's kind of derailed everything <laughs> and so we're on we're on New Navarro, which has been uh, gentrified. They've <laughs> can't, can't go to a saloon without it becoming a school. Yeah, you know what? That sucks. I, I get why they were angry, but um... I, I again, part of me is like, this is this this whole section of the plot feels like Favreau. And again, this is where I'm reading far too much into it. But this is the section of the episode where it feels like Favreau is like maybe subtly voicing some of his creative frustrations with like what the show has to be in order to continue to exist. Like what Disney plus needs it to be in order for it to continue to be viable as a franchise where it's like they go to Navarro. And as you said, it's been gentrified. The budget has been increased substantially. Everything is much more elaborate than it needs to be. But you also have this weird thing where it's like, you have to draw attention to how absurd it is that like things change, characters grow, arcs evolve, and there are people who want to reset things back to the way they were. And mm. this just like Karga is feels like something of either the Favreau stand in or the audience stand in because he's the guy who's like, no, sh- this has changed. The, the saloon is now a bar that Taika Waititi robot character is now a statue. Uh, and also, didn't you deal with this whole baby Yoda situation? And, and the episode's like, yeah, but you see uh, the pirates want the school to be a bar uh people like taita watiti's cool robot character and well baby yoda merchandise is just going to continue selling for us so i guess that's where we are um and it's just it's kind of i i like the it's the part of the show that feels a little self-aware in a way that mandalorian doesn't always feel self-aware if that makes mm. sense yeah. i'd say it's almost earnest to a fault where i think it kind of believes in itself a lot even when it is you can feel it's been cynically motivated. The show kind of goes ahead with the same earnest momentum. Yeah. It's it's a weird thing. I'm I'm that <laughs> probably made no sense what I just said, but um No, well, like, like again, that's that, that Favreau thing where like he doesn't feel like he's you know, he doesn't feel like he's gonna ruin anything. He doesn't feel like he's a visionary who wants to impose his vision on Star Wars. He feels like a guy playing with the toys. And like mm. if if he's told that he can play with the toys as long as he puts them back in the box at 5pm, he's going to put them back in the box at 5pm because he's a good guest, you know? Mm. Good well, housekeeper. You brought him up. I think we need to talk about the uh, the IG-11 in the room, <laughs> which is, this is a, a point of confusion for me. Because watching it, you see that statue. I'm like, yeah. oh, that's, you know, that's nice. They remember him. <laughs> but I remembered, because I always skip the previously ons, but the previously <laughs> on for this begins with IG-11's yeah. yeah. death. His explosion. I checked yes. again before yeah. this that he he just blew from, up from his head. Like it's his head that explodes, right? It's like that's where the from, bomb is because his legs yeah. are submerged in lava. Which I was like, oh, that's cool that they they built a statue of him. <laughs> but we come to find out that that is like fifty percent just the robot. 
Okay, before we talk about the robot, can we talk about the statue? Because the statue has big Terminator vibes. He's, like, mm. standing like a conquering hero with one foot up. But that foot is on, like, a bunch of Stormtrooper helmets. Mm. Um, Like, there's, there's real, like, Terminator crushing human skull vibes to that poster, to put it frankly. Well, it's the anti-fascist Terminator, though. If, if the Terminator was crushing Nazi heads, we'd be like, yeah, the Terminator. Yeah, yeah but the, the it's problem all context. is but the, yeah, it is all context, but the, the problem is that like you they're they're just skulls. Like you you just kind of you know, maybe if you were just standing on top of like a crashed TIE fighter or something. But the fact that like they've presumably taken the heads of these stormtroopers and piled them up high enough for him to like give a big heroic pose up. Can you imagine a picture of, I don't know, Napoleon standing atop the skulls of his enemies? It does feel a little ominous. So are you saying, Darren, we should protest and topple that statue? Bring the, well, I mean, it, Mando does bring the statue down, to be fair. It does, yeah. I mean, <laughs> hashtag woke Star Wars. Um, <laughs> it's like, I need, I need that corpse. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There's something, like, kind of creepy about the idea that, like, it isn't that, like, he likes IG-11 and he misses IG-11 and IG-11 was his friend and he's trying to, like, resurrect him. like say that, which is almost more jarring to me. But, but he's also like, I need somebody to go to the possibly poisonous surface of this planet and report back to me. That's why I'm resurrecting this dead robot. It's like, it apparently didn't bother me for the years, according to Favreau, that I was traveling with Grogu, or the two years that Grogu was away in, like, high school or whatever. But it's like, all of a sudden, I need somebody to breathe some poisonous air. First guy I thought of, let's resurrect IG-11, the dead sassy robot. Um, where, where in this galaxy will I find a robot? Yeah. Oh, wait, I knew one. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, that, that is the thing where it, like, that is the bit where I'm like, that does feel like, if you give the show a little credit about being self-aware, like, you have Cargo again, and, and Karga is, like, Karga is my guy in this episode. He's the guy who's, like, the guy who's voicing all the Darren stuff, which is, like, you can get another droid. It is probably cheaper to get another droid. It is probably more practical for you to get another droid. What you're doing here is kind of creepy with your dead robot friend. Um, like, he's the one voicing all of these complaints that seem perfectly logical and normal. And, and the show is just like, no, but you see... Like, there are IG-11 action figures, and people like him on Twitter, and Taika Waititi is kind of a big guy for us here at Disney, so, uh, you know, you're welcome to your opinion, Karga, and your little cape-carrying robots who I love, but uh, keep that to yourself. But it, or is it because Din Djarin is an established dro droid racist, and he's like, <laughs> oh no, IG-11, he's one of the good ones. <laughs> He's never talking about those droid rights and stuff. Um, no, 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 no. He's just like a guy. I don't think of him as a droid at all. I don't see droids. Some of my best friends are droids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do love the the like the the surreal. And again, like we, I worry I'm being too. I sound like I'm being too harsh in this episode. I think it's fine. I think it it's doing a lot of things that are contradictory and complicated. But I think it it does them as well as it can. And there are moments that I genuinely love, like the wide shot of Mando sitting cross-legged um, in the little, is it Anzellian? Like the little Bubba oh, Frick, yes, yeah. the little Babu Frick kind of place. I love just mm. the wide shot of he has let himself in and is sitting cross-legged like he's meditating while Karga is snooping through the door. It's like, it's one of those great perfect Star Wars things where everybody is playing this so straight, but it looks mm. so delightfully, like, absurd. You know? <laughs> and yeah, and... Um... 
Carl Webb is yelling translations <laughs> to him when it's not even that difficult. They just talk a little funny. Yeah. Get new one! Get new one! He's saying you need to get a new one, Mando. Yeah. It's broken! Broken! Memory broken! It's saying that the memory chip appears to be broken. <laughs> I, and I, never, I do love that Mando's like, I got it. Like, I, I do love yeah. that he kind of calls it out a little bit in a way that's fun, you know? And, you know, it's like, because I, I didn't want to call it this because I, I don't think this is, I don't think this is necessarily quote-unquote fan service having, like, all these Babu fricks I guess this is just like an established thing already in universe that these guys are good with robots, and that's fine. But it's it's a bit pointed that this is. I think I think Babu Frick's like the one thing people yeah. who like love or hate Rise of Skywalker both kind of like. Yeah. He's like the baby Yoda of that, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So much so, that, was it Steven Spielberg made them keep him alive in Rise of Skywalker? Did you know this? I do love the idea that Spielberg could have changed anything about that movie, and he's like, I just have one note for you. Well, I think I think he asked him. I don't know if he saw the whole thing, but he says like, right. "Oh, but where's Babu Frick? Does he definitely blow up?" And he's like, "Oh, we better show him waving a spaceship because otherwise, <laughs> <laughs> Babu Frick's dead." I do love that the takeaway note that they had from that conversation with Spielberg was, "We better add a scene of Babu Frick waving so that like people know he's okay," rather than the only character that Steven Spielberg appears to have emotionally engaged with in this movie is Babu Frick. <laughs> Like, oh, maybe he just woke up. He fell asleep after the Babu Frixie. He woke up and said, Where's Babu? Where's Babu? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what, a, what a fascinating movie, uh, Rise of Skywalker is. It, it's interesting. It's interesting. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know why IG 11 still exists in any form, but they had fun with it. You know, they, he goes crazy and attacks them. And yeah. still, Din Jaren's like, Oh, well, I still like this one. <laughs> <laughs> I love that they crush him with like a bust of Karga. Like which is that is like a really nice and again, that's using your head. I'm like, I do appreciate a good pun. Uh postmortem pun. I would, but I don't I don't buy that from that character. I think that if if Carl Webber's said that. Fair. But then Mando's kind of dumb, and that's why I like him. (laughs) Is all through these shows, he kind of is a dummy. He's a stoic dummy. And he's a himbo. But you see, the thing is, though, if you have, and part of me likes to believe this was an editing choice, presumably time constraints, if you have Mando say that's using your head, um, you then can cut to Karga and have Karga go, yeah, the droid looks pretty busted up. Mm, that's true. Yeah. And then you can have the protocol droid make another pun. And I'm like, this immediately goes from a three-star episode to a five-star episode. No question. Oh, yeah. Your next escapist article. <laughs> How this episode saves Star Wars. <laughs> it's the best thing to happen to the franchise since 1977. There are three <laughs> consecutive puns about bus. And I guess we, we just need to say, talking about just like, because we're talking about nice things, cool things in the episode, little cape robots. Yes, the ones that wheel his cape, that will carry yeah. his cape. Again, love that touch. Love that touch. Very good. I think these shows generally are all really good at little touches. Yeah. They always have little things just like, oh, that's a nice like visual detail of this universe. Even like, when they... Like, again, like the, the even on Andor, which is obviously a show that has mm. to stretch its budget in different ways because it does like location shooting and stuff. But when it uses like its props, where like Polaroid mm. cameras are used as sensors and you have those old like things you used to use to clear checks are used for prison yeah. sentences and stuff. Like the production design on these things is great. Like again, that's the thing that people love about Star Wars. And I think it works really well where the universe just feels really cool. Like there's the moment where he goes to Navarro and there's like a solid 
40 second shot of him just wandering around looking at cool aliens that are like some are yeah. cgi some are puppets some are makeup some are prosthetics and it's like this is just really cool this is just like a feels like a nice place to hang out i did during that little sequence i was thinking oh i really bet they wish this could have been their star wars galaxy's edge theme park planet oh, yeah yeah it all it almost felt a bit like that and you know props to them they haven't done that yet but I am still waiting for the day they do set one of these shows. They visit that place, <laughs> which is like an edge, which is a canon, like a canonical planet. They've written novels about it to tie it in. <laughs> and I'm, well, I'm surprised they haven't because I know it hasn't been doing amazingly. And I feel like they would have done it as a push now. So, you know, credit. Can I like this is the thing though, right? Because you you we're setting up a lot of work on Navarro, and we're setting up a, like a lot of the idea of Navarro as a paradise, and we're setting up the idea of Navarro existing independent from the New Republic and such. Mm. It does feel a little bit like this season is kind of setting Navarro up as a place that is going to like suffer horribly at some point over the year. It feels like like this is all being invested in getting us to care about this place and. Jin's gonna come back or Manda's gonna come back and discover that like there are a bunch of dead bodies burnt in the square or something whether because of like Gorian Shand of the pirates or whether because like again we've seen the trailers the return of the people who are interested in Grogu and all this sort of stuff it or even like arguably the thing that you have with like the sequels looming over this where it's like we know the New Republic's gonna fall we know that anything that these characters build in the gap between like Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens is going to burn in some way shape or form it really does feel like the episode kind of over eggs like this paradise that Karg has built and part of me is wondering if like the fact that it's not Galaxy Edge is, is maybe an excuse gives them the reason to burn it because I can't imagine you get away with being let's introduce Galaxy Edge and then burn it to the ground in the eighth episode of the season um, That that's kind of like if we're making bold predictions for the season ahead that's my call that is fair especially because it's been operating for an indeterminate amount of time without any law enforcement yes and I, like he won't he like i love that mando's like look you, you don't seem to have any cops here maybe you should ask like <laughs> the government to send you some police officers and karg is like nah like it's fine it'll work it's fine like, no mando i'm a capitalist anarchist <laughs> well i mean like again i do feel like this is a theme the show is getting at but we'll talk to it when we get to uh like the um Bo-Katan stuff in a moment. It does feel a little bit like Favreau is trying to say something with Mando this season. Mm. Um, and again, part of it feels like it's in conversation with Andor, which is, you know, for better or worse, um, an ambitious choice given how nuanced Andor is and the points that it's making. <laughs> like, by contrast, Mandalorian is like, look at all this cool shit. It's pretty fucking cool, isn't it? Um, but we'll come back to that. So just to put a pin in that the idea of like Cargus, as you said, capitalist anarcho commune. <laughs> it's very confusing. I bet he is a podcast that is incomprehensible. <laughs> <laughs> but that brings us along to um kind of I'd say the weirdest part of the episode is this oh, we've mentioned it earlier, but this meeting with these pirates who are demanding to go into a school because they think it's a bar. Just a a very tenuous <laughs> reason for a shootout i would say <laughs> especially when grief karg is being very nice and saying well there's no alcohol there why don't we go somewhere with alcohol <laughs> it's like no bring the alcohol to the school um, like, i like drinking with kids <laughs> but and again like it's the thing that it feels like as a thematic point which is the idea mm. that this thing has changed and grown 
and you're stuck in this nostalgia. Again, this is the larger discussion that we have about franchises where, like, you know, again, Picard is airing at the moment on Paramount Plus in the UK and the US. And if, it's like, if you say so. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously. Seen evidence. Okay. Um, but, like, it. it <laughs> We're not going to get into that. But it's 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 bringing back like the entire cast of the next generation. It's recreating 1994. It's like, look, we tried to do an original show with Patrick Stewart that didn't work out. So would you like some nostalgia that reminds you of your childhood? And it feels rather pointed that like you have Vane showing up and being like, "I like to drink here. Here's where I'm gonna drink." And it's like, sir, that is a building full of children, um, which feels like again. Not to put too fine a point on it and not to accuse Favreau of being like an angry, like pointed political social fan commentary writer, which I don't think he is. But it does feel a little bit like you're having a discussion about who is this institution for? Who is like Star Wars for? Is Star Wars for the old people, the olds, if you will, who want it to be the thing that they always remember it being, the thing that they always recalled it being, the institution that they love, a hive of scum and villainy? I think is like an adjective that they actually use that term here, if I remember correctly. They actually describe oh, it as, yes, yeah. um, which is very direct invocation of like one of the iconic scenes from Star Wars 1977. Mm. Um, and, or does it belong to a new generation? Do you hand Star Wars over to people who get to make it their own? And like the push and pull and the tug of war that exists. And again, it's not just Star Wars, it's every franchise. It's Star Wars, it's Doctor Who. Uh, it's arguably even like Fast and Furious, it's Marvel, it's all this sort of stuff. And I do think that like, I think there is a conversation taking place in the gentlest possible terms, because Mando is not a show that is going to provoke its audience in any way. But I do think that there is something deliberate in, as you said, the very strange choices where like, it's like, it's a school. Why is the bar now a school? It doesn't feel like the bar is a building architecturally designed to be converted to a school. Why is Vane not willing to do the perfectly reasonable thing of maybe walking 20 feet down the street to find another bar that can conceivably serve him? And why is he being such an asshole to Karga, who is being very accommodating to him? And those choices only work if, A, you assume that they're there because there needs to be a shootout, because, again, we need to remind audiences that this is just classic Mando adventures. But, B, I think because it ties in thematically to that stuff that you also have with Mando being like, no, I like this droid this droid not a new mm. droid not not a new droid not a different droid i want this droid and you have this kind of, again it's kind of weird that the show's like when vane shows up it's like this used to be a bar that's bad but when mando and i suppose when mando shows up he's like i want this droid that also doesn't work out well either so mm. maybe the show is making a point about you know, new things well i i am hoping because this is something that's been here since the first season is it's established that when he was young he was inducted into the death watch cult who are an established part of Star Wars canon. That's this, like, very murderous, almost, like, you know, cult. cult. They're a I mean, cult of Mandalorians. their name is Death Watch. Like, their name exactly, is, like, yeah. the branding is pretty on point. I guess all Mandalorians are about kind of killing. You know, they, they're like Klingons of Star Wars <laughs> in a lot of ways. But um, but I've been waiting. It's like, where is the moment where this character starts to change his mind about that? Because that feels <laughs> like that's naturally what's set up. And may maybe that is something they're going into this season. Because now... I thought him getting kicked out of the cult would have been enough, but now he's so bad he wants to get back in. <laughs> it's like, when are we going to engage with this? With a the fact more. that it is a cult. Like, like we, can we just acknowledge that it is a cult? Like, we opened with a child being forcibly inducted into it. And sure, yeah. it's interrupted by a giant turtle monster, but it kind of draws your attention away from the fact that this is the last time the kid's face is going to see sunlight. Um, it does... Mm. 
because because Bo Katan was a member of the cult who in the Clone Wars helped to helped a hostile takeover of her planet that got her sister, the leader of the planet, killed and put Darth Maul, a man who looks <laughs> just like the devil, on the throne. <laughs> so I am hoping that that character has some opinions on it. Well, I mean, to be fair, she does seem like she... Well, the, the end of the episode does suggest yeah. that she does have some opinions, but not before we get to a crazy asteroid battle, which again feels oh, like yes. it's just we're doing standard Star Wars stuff. Again, a large part of like why this episode is 40 minutes and nothing happens in it is because so much of it's like, you remember Star Wars stuff, right? You like Star Wars stuff. How about some Star Wars stuff, you know? Um, yeah, and I'll give it, I'll give it credit. Because I always forget, but for these things, like these are kind of TV shows, this is a great looking space battle. Yes. It's yeah. done really well. It feels like just a nice little burst of energy that then kind of just stops. It doesn't really end. Because <laughs> we get to a uh, Captain Swamp thing. <laughs> I think you mean Pirate King Gorian Shand, which I, lo I love that that's his full title. We don't call him Shand. We rarely call him Gorian Shand. He's always Pirate King Gorian Shand. That's some good you branding. Know? He's got some good brand identification going on there. And it is cool because we get um, when he when, when Mando is attacked by the pirates, one of them says, "A vast Mandalorian." Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like I like when they lean into this stuff very hard. And again, I like the makeup designs as well. Like a lot of stuff mm. here seems to be practical and prosthetics. I know obviously you've got CGI touching up, but like the, the is it Vane? The character Vane has this like wonderful mm. makeup design on his face, which I love. And again, hearing him say a vast Mandalorian from inside a cockpit inside an asteroid field. It's like, what, what, like, I know that I loved Andor and I know that Andor was transcendental, but there's also a point where I'm like, what else do I want from Star Wars than an alien like with a face like that saying a vast Mandalorian while riding into an asteroid field? It's like it feels like this is exactly what Star Wars should be and is doing, you know? Yeah, and I that's when I was thinking that watching this, and I was that's when I was like, I wish they almost were more comfortable just having Andor and this on completely separate sides of saying, like, this is like, you know, the quote unquote Star Wars. HBO Star Wars. This is the live action Saturday morning cartoon. Yeah. But this but Saturday morning cartoons just need to be a bit more standalone, I think. They need to be a bit more like you could randomly watch one and just be like, well, yeah. that was a fun adventure. Yeah. Well earlier I mean, on when Sorry. I, I'd also argue that they maybe need to be a bit better. Like I think I think just like again, this is the thing where when people talk about like Andor and want Star Wars to be more like Andor, I think a lot of it is just they want it to be like better written. So you have mm. things like say, um, you know, like the book of Obi Wan, sorry, no, the book of Obi Wan Kenobi. That's not a show. The book of Boba Fett and Obi Wan Kenobi, which are shows that are you know looks like a lot of money was spent on them. There's a lot of acting talent in in there, but there's a lot of really like I would argue personally not great writing going on there. And it's like, I don't want those scripts. I don't want those shows necessarily to be darker and edgier. Mm. I don't want them to be like treatises on accelerationism as a theory of political discourse. Um, I just want them to make internal sense and to be fun and playful and to be well-written um, about what they're about. I think that that's kind of the big, whenever I compare stuff to Andor, it's like, I don't want all Star Wars to be, as you said, HBO Star Wars. I just want even like the Saturday morning cartoons to be, I don't know, more like say Batman, the animated series than He-Man, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I agree. And that's what I mean is I wish, I wish they were just more clear with their intent. Yeah. Cause I think this show started off one way and has, it's yeah. fluctuated. I think it's had an identity crisis. And that's what I like about this, even though it's like, 
it is more Mando. It feels like a return to the yeah. stuff that I like. You know? yeah. And I know I shouldn't be like, oh, I like this, because who am I any better than complaining? But it, it functions for me. Yeah. And function I'll take functional over exceptional if if one is not available. <laughs> yeah, that's that's it. If those are the, if the, the options are non-functional and functional, I will always take functional. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But I suppose we haven't really talked about it of what's led one thing to another of this is he's come he's come to this planet to get the road let's let's make a timeline so he went to the armor at the start because he had a bit of glass with some writing on some kind of artifact that From led him the to surface be... of mandalore uh, that was traded to jawas i believe is the thing yes a fetch and question which... a fetch question a fetch question he's like he's looking for the map to get yeah. to the map to get to exegol exactly so he goes to get the only robot he knows. Yeah. That's broken. Tries so the to only good it. robot he Can't. knows. The only good one, yeah. Uh, and then is told to go collect a part. And I I can't for the life of me figure out, Ben, what leads him to go to Bo-Katan. Does she know where a part is? No, I, that's, I think that's kind of like he's launching a secondary quest simultaneously. Where it's like, obviously, right. the, the, the memory chip is going to be something else that plays out across the season. Yeah. Because like... <clears throat> Uh, this is not a spoiler. This is not something that comes up next week. I'm not ruining it for anyone, but like, it's very obvious that IG-11 is going to come back into play at some point during the season. It's Chekhov's robot. It's We're not introducing him and then going to forget about him completely. Uh, this is not that show. Uh, the, you know, whatever we've said about the problems writing this show, Favreau's not a guy who's like, you know what, we're going to spend 10 minutes with a robot at the start of the season and it's never going to come up again. This is very much, it feels like introducing that shot of like Boba Fett at the end of the first episode of the second season where it's like this is something that's going to play out across the season so i would expect to see mando get the chip or somebody else get the chip and give it to mando and mando get back and repair ig11 in time for the finale um but i do i think the Catan stuff is just i feel like that is like the meat of what this season's about which is like we're going back to mandalore and we're diving into like we're literally diving in to uh, mm. Mandalorian mythology. Like, it feels like the reason, and again, this is one of those things where you can almost feel the competing agendas that Favreau has to serve, the competing masters, where it's like, this is the season premiere. By the time we mm. get to the end of it, we need to have established what the season is about. And it, it feels like the only reason he goes to Bo-Katan is so that the episode can end with you as a viewer knowing that, like, the mission this season isn't, we're going to get the chip to repair IG-11. The mission is we're going back to Mandalore. Um, that's what this is about. And Bo-Katan is a major player in the season, and she has been properly introduced by the end of the first episode, so you know that she can circle back around into the conversation later in the season. Like, it... it it's something that, like, the internal logic isn't entirely coherent, and I don't mind, because Star Wars internal logic is always a bit, like, wibbly-wobbly. Um, mm. But I do... But it works, I think, thematically in terms of understanding, like, what Favreau is doing with these... Is it eight episodes this season again? I think, I think it's eight, yeah. 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 But it, this, the scene does have to do a bit of reconstruction at the start to be like, oh, where are all those other Mandalorians you knew? It's like, oh, they left. But that, that's... <laughs> like, fine, okay. <laughs> This, this again we have we we kind of alluded to it earlier on but so much of this episode is exposition and it's exposition because like it's it's exposition which you sh like theoretically you shouldn't need because the idea is you, it's just ma fun mando adventures but because mm. of like the book of boba fett and because of like the fact that we are completely changing the premise of the show you have to have a lot of these conversations where like mando just asks where's marshall dune 
what yeah. happened to Giancarlo Esposito? Uh, where's the dark saber? Is that no, no? Where's the? I know where the dark saber is. Sorry, that's the wrong question. That's bad. <laughs> I shouldn't have asked that. What happened to? Uh, where's the other Mandalorians? Where where's is the Moff Gideon? Fleet? Yeah, yeah. Where's the stolen fleet? You know, um, like a lot of this stuff is very. Again, I wish it were better integrated. I wish it were more organic. Like Star Wars traditionally works because the universe feels lived in because it feels like the characters like understand the world even if the audience doesn't like it feels like luke knows that most Eisley is a wretched hive of scum and villainy or whatever even though you know we don't like explain the history and the founding of it and like who controls it and stuff like that and all you know, like all that stuff comes up in conversation organically but it's not info dumped whereas here there's a lot of stuff that feels very inelegant for star wars which is mm. question asked question answered question asked question answered which feels again like you're running through a checklist of things the audience needs to know before this show could actually start telling the story that is presumably going to unfold over the remaining episodes of the season um and that that Bo-Katan scene is a very obvious example of that where it's like can we just cram all of this stuff in because it, it leaves there was a very awkward note that season two ended on not just with luke yeah. Ignoring that is in those final scenes, uh, the Mandalorian claims the dark saber by beating uh, <laughs> Gus Fring in hand to hand combat. Yeah. Um, and then the character Bo-Katan, whose whole goal was to get that, knows that she hasn't earned it. And they just kind of stop the episode because it comes to its like emotional conclusion because he said goodbye to Grogu. <laughs> and it, we've never dealt with what happens after that between those two characters. Because yeah. you'd think what naturally would happen would be she would try to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> and, and maybe he would be a bit less of a jerk and just give her the dark saber. He's like, I've already taken off my mask. I've already been excommunicated. What's the worst that could possibly come of this? <laughs> well, they, they, do, they do do a whole conversation where, where he's like, oh, you can have it. I don't want it. And she's like, no, I have to earn it off you. You, you can't just give it away. Okay, let's play space chess then. Let's play stupid yeah. space. Yeah, let's play. Play that 3D space chess from like 1977 Star Wars. The filter. Oh, I was, I was, sorry, I was thinking of the one that they used to play in Star Trek. The, like, oh, the three dimensional one. Yeah, let, let reference other things for a while. Fair, fair, fair. Yeah, um, crack into it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that wasn't at you, that was at the Mandalorian. I don't need to tell you to reference Star Trek, though. <laughs> um, <laughs> it would be great if like they just went to meet the like the contact turned out to be Jean-Luc Picard just inexplicably it was just Patrick Stewart as Jean-Luc Picard was like <laughs> why yes I've been to Mandalore I'm putting together a team <laughs> it's like they've <laughs> run out of ideas for my own show <laughs> so I'm just gonna be in this yes um, I believe you know my engineer his name is Dominic Toretto <laughs> oh yeah this is a ready player too yeah and it's okay because he's got an assistant Groot. Oh no! So, um, and we've hired and, a mercenary and, Riddick. Yeah. And whoever he wasn't saving Sander Private Cage. Ryan. Okay, I was about to say, don't worry, we have an infiltrator, an espionage expert, Xander Cage. And we're flying the Iron Giant through space. Yeah. You know, what? sounds like a good show. The most depressing thing about Ready Player One is the fact that, like, the the, the Iron Giant is like a robot killing machine, and the movie's like, isn't this cool? Like that that's everything wrong with nostalgia culture in a nutshell. It's like the Iron Giant is this story about a gun that doesn't want to be a gun. And Ready Player One is like, yeah, but it's pretty cool if he's a gun, right? But he is a big robot. Hmm. <laughs> a robot. What? A robot. Oh, oh, that's that's right. That would you'd have some interesting tension with Mando on the team. Nice. It's mm, right. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, I thought I didn't like him before, but now they're that big. <laughs> 
uh, yeah, so that Bo-Katan lives in a cool castle. I like all these designs a lot. And they, you know, just have a conversation just establishing again what what's happening in the show. <laughs> <laughs> what the season is about. Um, Bo-Katan wheels out a whiteboard. And, and again, like part of me is like, am I giving the show too much credit? This is the problem with when you have me on early in the season, because what tends to happen with these things is early in the season, there are lots of possibilities and lots of ideas and lots of themes. As you get mm. towards the end, the show starts whittling out and throwing stuff out and not exploring any of these ideas in any substantive way. But it's kind of interesting that I think at the start you have like with that scene with Bo-Katan um, and with Mando, you have like something interesting that kind of ties into something Andor was about as well, which is this idea of, you know, spoiler alert for the real world, bringing other stuff into it. Like we're living in an age where like fascism is ascendant again. We're living in a world where like things are getting very bad very quickly for very particular groups of people. Um, and the question is, how do you deal with those things? And the answer is you deal with them through intersectionalism. You work together. You forge alliances between different groups with different interests in them. And like, you know, a large part of Andor is like Luthen trying to figure out how to build a quote unquote alliance of rebels if you will or a rebel mm. alliance perhaps uh, between the various competing groups like the partisans and you know Saul's group and all this sort of stuff and it does feel like mando is kind of doing its own like kind of colored in crayon giant markers broad strokes version of that where it's like there are several ways to be a Mandalorian. There are several different codes that you can follow. Our people have been bickering about which one is the right way to deal with it. And as a result, the Empire was able to conquer and destroy us and eradicate our planet. And it does feel like, given the forces that we know were in play, given the characters that are established in this episode, which are like, you know, the as you said, like the, the Death Watch, you have like the armor, you've got like minigun John Favreau dude, but you've also got Bo-Katan, you've got the Stolen Fleet and all this sort of stuff. They're all different factions of kind of Mandalorian aligned groups. It does feel like the show is going to build to a point where all those groups are brought together and united and work towards a common goal. And like, I kind of admire that it, presumably arose from Favreau maybe looking at the scripts for Andor and being like, that's a pretty good thematic point that resonates with the current moment in time where we have this kind of infighting among groups that are ostensibly progressive, working towards progressive goals, trying to fight against things like, you know, again, transphobia, racism, uh, institutional misogyny, all this sort of stuff, and, and often like finding themselves competing against each other rather than working together towards common purpose. And it does feel like the Mandalorian is kind of clumsily gesturing at that, where it's like Bo-Katan needs to kind of get over herself and maybe Death Watch, as you said, you need to be less of a cult, just a little bit less mm. of a cult. Um, and the Stolen Fleet could maybe like just chill out a little bit, maybe, you know, maybe be cool, bring the fleets back, uh, maybe use their forces for good. I kind of like the idea that the show is maybe playing with that idea. Mm. I guess we'll have to, yeah, I guess we can yeah, it's a, a terrible answer, bro. We we kind of just have to see. Yeah, because Bernie yeah. is worried this show will be like, oh, Mando <laughs> just gets back into the cult and becomes the leader. <laughs> it's just, it's just... the obvious solution to this is that Bo-Katan becomes a member of Death Watch, right? That's the, that's yeah, how we solve this. Yeah. She's like, you were right, I was wrong. Yeah, Mandalore forever. Yeah. Hashtag Mandalore forever. Uh... But yeah, that like, new Black Panther. I just... <laughs> but that that does, yeah, like it does feel like that would be a kind of a baller move for Favreau, like a bit of a bold move. Season four of the Mandalorian is Mandalorian Mandalore forever, 
Um, but I, I do like, again, it's, it's one of those things that feels like it's going in an interesting direction. But as you said, there are so many mines along that path. There are so many potential pitfalls. The show has never been particularly astute as, as you said, interrogating the logic of the fact that its main character is a member of a cult that indoctrinates children. Um, and the entire arc of this season seems to be the character winning the favor of the cult that calls itself Death Watch that, like, you know, again, uh, institutionalizes children. It, it's it's the thing where it's like I'm sitting forward in my seat and I'm like, this could be interesting, bold, engaging and brilliant. Or, counterpoint, it could be a gigantic car crash uh, thematically. And I'm like, I don't know which one this is going to be. And that's exciting. It's very interesting. And this is the stuff, like, even if it does crash the car, at least if it does it in a way that's honest to itself and not just it goes off the rails because it crams other things in that don't fit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the, the car crash was particularly unpleasant because the entire cast of Ahsoka Tanu um, and like <laughs> the New Republic were also in here. Um. If it's because Mando fell asleep at the wheel, cool. But if, it, if it's because Ahsoka Tanu grabbed the wheel, not <laughs> to go so pick cool. up Luke Skywalker. Yeah, Luke Skywalker was giving backseat driving instructions. But I realize it, I'm ranking ways to crash a car. <laughs> I think this podcast has become the car crash. That's very fair. I, I will say, though, again, just to bring it back to something I mentioned, like, again, that feels like it feels like it's more than just a bunch of character stuff because it's the same stuff that you have at Karga, where Karga's like, look, this is my uh, my <laughs> anarcho-capitalist commune, which is not part of the New Republic and therefore, like, won't go to the New Republic in search of, like, basic law enforcement, like, services. That does feel like it's a reflection of, like, what's happening to back in, you know, again, to Bo-Katan sitting alone on her throne, which is like, no, I... I have purity in my beliefs. I'm not going to compromise my beliefs by like working with a larger group of people towards a common goal. It does feel like the show is maybe gesturing in some sort of vague direction. The problem is that I'm not sure the show itself realizes this. (laughs) I won't work with anyone. I like sitting alone in a castle. (laughs) I mean, it does look pretty fucking cool. Like it's a pretty cool. It is cool. It's like it sucks that she doesn't give him the guided tour. It feels like he's the first guest she's had in a while, right? Presumably she's gonna be very excited to have him. Like, would you like to see the 18 master bedrooms? I've converted one of them into like a pinball machine room. Darren, the the volume only <laughs> renders one room at a time. <laughs> very the show fair. Be out till next year. <laughs> very fair. So, wasn't that a rumor about like the, the Book of Boba Fett? Like the reason the Book of Boba Fett happened was because the volume wasn't used for Obi-Wan and Obi-Wan was delayed and like Disney wanted more Mandalorian content. There was some I sort don't, of rumor. I don't know anything about that. Because oh, I, okay. I know they did some set work on it because it was a famous example. Well, like Rodriguez kind of is 3D, isn't it? Rodriguez is kind of green screen stuff, I thought, wouldn't it? He does some of that, but I know there's a, a, a shot in it where someone's on a speeder bike and you can see over the edge of the set and you could have seen, you could see yeah. like the wooden supports or something. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I don't know about that. I know this Star Wars is just more production rumors van content at this that's point. That's fair. That is so fair. It's, it's, it's hard <laughs> to keep track. And that's before you get into like watching Poker Face and being like, wait, is Sherry Jones actually Kathleen Kennedy? Um, Like, <laughs> where, where can I watch Poker Face? It's on uh, Peacock. On Peacock, yes. What is Peacock? It's NBC's streaming service in the United States. They used to have a free tier uh, with advertising on it. it. I don't believe the international rights have been sold yet. I keep emailing them about it, and they're like, yeah, we haven't sold the international rights yet. I'll buy them. 
Niall just screens them in his office. It's like I, I will I alternate lunch times. They're using that yellow Colombo font. Why yeah. would they keep this from me? Yep, yeah. and I, she drives a 1969 Barracuda, and like there's a soundtrack that involves like Wings and Neil Young. This is it's insane. It's like they made a show for me and just won't let me see it. One of the character, one of the sh- one of the episodes is literally about Phil Tippett, and they brought in Phil yeah. Tippett to make Mad God. Like it's it's, it's like Phil Tippett making Mad God, which is remarkable. <sighs> this, I'm sorry, I'm having a moment. Just <laughs> <laughs> I I don't get it sometimes. Remember when um when this show started, we Disney Plus did not exist in the United yeah. Kingdom and Ireland. Yeah, this whole this whole seat first season came out. And they were selling Baby Yoda merch in stores over here <laughs> before the show even came out. And yeah. then I think they still did it week by week. I think they still did a drip feed. Yeah. Oh, well, Disney Plus still do that with all the other stuff that they take over slowly, like Atlanta and stuff like that. Atlanta still releases week on weekend, even oh, though it ended but... last year. Um... I, did, I didn't know that. <laughs> but it, I, I guess for that, maybe they're just running out of stuff. Uh, Atlanta's great, don't get me wrong. But this was meant to be their like, flagship show. And they were like, maybe... <laughs> Maybe people in the UK I love, are so dumb. I love that the hottest take of this podcast is Mando is more important than Atlanta. Sure, Atlanta's a good show, but it's no Mando. Well, no, to, to Disney, to Disney. I know, I know. I know. Um, Atlanta's not probably not driving that many streaming subscriptions, to be fair, to Disney+. Plus. Um, but yeah, I, I, again, like it's it's that thing where I, like, I cover pop culture for The Escapist and stuff like that, and it's like, I would like to watch Doom Patrol. I cannot mm. watch Doom Patrol. It is impossible for me to legally watch Doom Patrol uh, in the UK and Ireland, which is very strange. Yeah, because I don't, I haven't even, see, I don't know if they released it on physical because I was looking in HMV one day. Remember HMV? And they just don't seem to have it. Yeah. Because that, that's like, I'm, I'm pretty checked out with comic book stuff generally, but that one, I just heard good things. I was like, I'd like to see that. And, and Brendan Fraser, like the, the yeah. you know, Renaissance baby. Well, not a DC want to cut that short, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, mean I, I do love how committed Warner Brothers is to, like, ending the Renaissance. It's like, we have an actor who may win Best Actor, and he's starring in two of our comic book properties. Are we going to make those comic book properties easy to see? No. No, we are not. Instead, yeah, Brendan Fraser had to make his own superhero movie. Who, who's <laughs> even heard of The Whale? What a dumb... Is that Marvel you, or DC? I don't even know. Have you know. seen The Whale? No, I haven't. People are amazing, Niall. People are amazing. I saw the trailer. I was like, mm, maybe not. It It is like, there are parts of it that are interesting, but there are also parts of it that feel like Aronofsky's doing an Aronofsky self-parody. Like there's a oh. moment where like he shoots, he shoots like a bucket of chicken wings like it's Jason Voorhees from a Friday the 13th movie where like the score goes ominous and dark. It's in silhouette at the edge of the frame. And you just have this shot of Brendan Fraser looking towards it longingly. It's like, I need it. I need it. And you're like, Jesus Christ. Like, it's like, there are better ways to communicate what you are trying to communicate than the way that you are communicating it. And now I kind of need to check it out. That's what I hate. You've just <laughs> sold me on it. <laughs> anyway, I guess I guess we were talking about whales earlier. So I was going to say we've gone really off track, but it's all connected. No, the space whales, no whale. Brendan Fraser, he'll probably be in Star Wars soon. He has to, like, I mean, it again, happens. like, it does feel like that it's a pipeline from Oscar winner to franchise stuff. Like, the, the thing is, like, you're waiting for Marvel to build an entire franchise around him after being, like, a DC guy for, what, five years at this point? Um, In, like, sorry. Within the next five years, we're going to see posters for The Mummy Reborn. Yeah. It will happen. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, do they bring back Rachel Vice or Maria Bello? I think Rachel Vice. You need to bring her back. I think she's the one who's like the the most times I see people like tweeting about the mummy. It's usually her and Brendan Fraser. It's usually captions like they these two were my bisexual awakening. So I think <laughs> if you don't have them both, it's not going to fly. And aren't there like weren't there questions about fucking Michelle Yeoh and stuff where she was talking about how she'd love to do a mummy movie with him again? This is the thing that's again vaguely. Was depressed. she in the third one? Was that Jet Li? Was she also in that one? I think she was in it because I just listened to her and Brendan Fraser on a podcast. And I think ah, they okay. talk about making it. I haven't seen the third oh, okay. Mummy movie, so I couldn't comment. Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. Okay, cool. Tomb I remember Jet Li. Emperor. I don't remember Michelle Yeoh. I don't remember anything about that movie. Um, all I remember is, again, Mario Bello, who has a screenwriting credit on, I believe, The Woman King. There's a fun Okay. Thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the thing about like award season where it's like people are winning Oscars and it's like, can we immediately cram them into nostalgic franchise stuff where you have like Quan is, you know, obviously winning for um, like everything, every role at once. And it's like, would you come back and do an indie movie? And it's like, what, you mean a small independent film? No, an indie movie. <laughs> um, it's like, do you mean Indiana Jones? Yes. Where they'd be like, oh. would you like to reprise the role of short round? Would you like to do oh, a yeah. short round spinoff? Would you like to do an eight episode short round series on Disney Plus? And that, you know what? That irks me when people say he should do a series. It's like, why can't he have a movie? <laughs> he's winning awards for a movie. Why is he now a, a streaming show? Why is that his reward? I, I, I love that I'm like, I, I, I just don't like that the first thing we go is franchise stuff. And you're like, I don't mind. It's just going to be movies. Blockbusters, baby. I, well, I, I have a sick problem, Darren. You might think I like Star Wars, and I do. There is evidence. You could say us speaking right now is evidence of that. <laughs> but I love Indiana Jones. Right. And I will do sickening amount of things for new Indiana Jones stuff. <laughs> but I won't, I repeat, won't tolerate an eight episode short round miniseries. No. I, I gave young Indiana Jones Chronicles a shot. It blew it. I need big movies. <laughs> Did you watch the Harrison Ford episode? I didn't get to it. it just okay. Started. I feel it's, like you it's, can probably skip to it. Yeah, maybe. I, I do want to see the one, the Easter Rising one. Because <laughs> you got it. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure it's a very sensitive portrayal of, of our nation. And uh, Well, Indiana Jones healed our nation, Darren. I have no response to that. No, um, no, no. Is there anything uh, you want to say about the episode, actually? before Just before we finish up, then. Is there anything we haven't talked about? Anything we haven't talked about? Not really. I suppose just we can have some final thoughts on it. Um, it's a fine episode. It's it does, as you said, it does around ten. It juggles ten plates at once, whilst also being incredibly simplistic, which is <laughs> a a pretty pr inc impressive achievement. <laughs> Qu question mark. The fact that, like, again, and part of me is like, we're coming off the back of, obviously we're coming off the back of Andor, which doesn't necessarily do it any favors, but we are coming off the back of something like the Book of Boba Fett and Obi-Wan Kenobi, and it's like, this is so much more efficient at what it's doing. It knows what it's doing more than those two shows did, I would argue. Well, I, uh, I suppose my only other thought on, I think I said this before, I think I saw in the Graham, is I'm mildly contemptuous of the fact We've had um, Pedro Pascal, of course, in The Last of Us, which is a show I, America's I have new no dad. Risk. America's new dad. Well, people need to cool it with that daddy stuff to him. It, it seems like it's draining him. Have you seen this? I, I, I have. He seemed to be into it for the first four weeks of the show, and then I kind of zoned out. 
It's just, well, it just seems anytime he's on a red carpet, people are like, will you read these horny tweets about you? And now he's just like, no. He's just tired. Like, why, why do people treat him like that? I love him. He's handsome and all that, but he, yeah, it's a I, job. I, I, I get, like, again, this is the thing where I worry I sound like an old prude where I'm like, take sex scenes out of movies. I'm not like, take sex scenes out of movies. But it's weird that we're like, so, so like blatant with the thirsting where it's like Elizabeth Olsen had this whole thing where she was mummy last year. Yeah. Uh, and she was, and again, it's the thing... It's the thing where she's into it. And like, again, that Pascal thing where he's kind of into it or he seemed to be into it at first and then it becomes kind of draining. It, it's weird that those boundaries don't really exist anymore. Like, can you imagine like for feckin' what was for like trying to get like Nick Nolte to be daddy, trying to get like J- Julia Roberts to be mommy. Can you yeah. imagine being in those kind of like me in the 90s doing press junkets and being like, Will Smith, are you daddy? Um, I would have never Jeff- yelled at Buster Keaton. <laughs> I get what you mean. A, a podcast I love, um, The Back Page, which is about like a, I'm going to sound very boring, but it's about like a video game magazine writing and stuff like that from the past. It's, it's yeah. two great uh, video game writers who talk about games and they, they call this stuff performative horniness on Twitter. Yeah. Where it's like, it's, I don't think people are actually horny, but they want to be perceived that way because it's like a new form of content. It's just what weird shit can you say to sound like you are so desperate to have sex with a celebrity? But again, but, it's it's the thing where, like, again, it, anything you engage with online, emotions travel faster than facts over the internet. Mm. Uh, anger travels faster than anything else, which explains a lot about the world in which we live. It does feel yeah. like horniness is maybe an attempt to channel that, where it's like, horniness is a universal experience, and if you can channel that into it. It also has that hint of transgressiveness, I guess, where it's like, people didn't used to talk like this, so you feel like you're breaking a few social norms, but you're breaking them in a way that isn't, you know, is ostensibly complimentary to the person in question. Um, in that yeah. you're, you know, you are objectifying them, but you are doing it in a way that flatters them. Um, and again, yeah, it it again, it's a very odd thing. It's it's very odd that this happens, and in parallel, you have this obsession with sex scenes in movies, where people are like, no, sex scenes in movies, only horniness on Twitter. And I'm like, I feel like my my position is almost diametrically opposed. Where I'm like, I don't mind horniness on Twitter. I don't really partake in it, but it's like I do feel like movies could do with maybe being a bit hornier um yeah i, I feel like you have to fill the gaps that's why it's happening <laughs> yeah <laughs> people post a picture of ig11 be like damn that robot's sexy it's like what i don't think that's happening but more like ig11 out of 10 am i right Whoa. oh that yeah. blew up oh yeah <laughs> uh yeah so i went so of course but my point was Pedro Pascal stars in a show called The Last of Us. Yes. And oh, I, don't... <laughs> I thought this was the point related to that. I just thought that we're getting no, absolutely nothing to do with that. That's the thing. We get get together, we start talking about sex. We're just yeah. disgusting Horny, men. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Objectifying robots on Star Wars voice by yeah. Taika Waititi. <laughs> oh, I actually forgot that was him. That's funny. But um <laughs> but anyway, Pedro Pascal stars in a show called The Last of Us. This will be <laughs> I'll just get into the podcast there. But, uh, and he, he's... <laughs> That's the anecdote. That's the complete anecdote. <laughs> People might not know about this show. But um, yeah, which is a show I, I don't really have any strong feelings on. I play, really? I love the video game. Yeah, and I, I just think it's it's that video game adapted into a TV show. Okay. Which which doesn't really interest me because I, I really like the video game. But even The last episode we watched was just two kids going around a mall. I was yeah. like, oh yeah, I, pl- I played this. And I didn't get anything else out of it. <laughs> okay, I, I'm enjoying it. Now, I have not played the video game beyond the first level. Um, 
because I needed to figure out that I could play video games. But I, I'm enjoying it. I think it's and again, it's weird. My parents don't think it's enjoying... bad. Okay. I don't think it's bad, but I, I do feel if people have played and loved the game, I don't think it has anything to offer that the game doesn't. Okay. Which is a really weird thing. That's why I find it interesting. It is such a literal adaptation that I think could have gone further to be less literal. Okay. But uh, I think Pedro Pascal is, is great in it, which makes me very contemptuous that this is like, The Mandalorian is a show that technically stars him, but we never <laughs> him. <laughs> I mean, how how much of this do we reckon he was on set for? For this for this episode, at least, yeah. I I don't believe he was in it. Yeah, because uh, why why would he be? Yeah, because they they've already established they just use stuntmen for most of it. It's like so why use him if he's not going to be unmasked? Yeah. Which I hate because I think performance can be you don't yeah. need to see a face to get the character through. Yeah, and I, mean, I like, don't think we're getting David Prowse. Like that's the thing. Like whatever about Darth yeah. Vader, obviously James Earl Jones is a huge part of it, but Prowse's physicality is an incredible mm. part of like what makes Vader Vader. Um, I think of things like, say, the scene, <laughs> the, the wonderful scene in Empire Strikes Back, where he's like staged the dinner in order to catch Han yeah. Solo. Like the body language in that scene tells you so much about who Vader is. And that's not James Earl Jones's performance. That's all Prowse in the moment being like, no, he's, he's yeah. theatrical. That's who this guy is. He's, he, he went to the bother of setting this table. He went to the bother of like arranging dinner. He didn't have them arrested in their quarters. This guy's going to give a very theatrical physical performance here. And yeah, I do. it does. Like Mando doesn't feel like that kind of performance. No, there's no like, yeah, it doesn't feel as lived in. In the first season, I think it felt more because it hadn't been established maybe. But now it's like, I guess you can see through the cracks of production a bit more now. Because yeah. you uh, and just because you know for a fact he was making The Last of Us to <laughs> <laughs> production time, a show he is in a lot of his face, especially. I do love, by the way, Last of Us fans were complaining about like they remove spores from the TV show, and I'm like, do you really think that when they were pitching this to Pedro Pascal, they're like, you're going to spend a lot of this show wearing a mask? Mm. It does. Like, if you're asking why they remove spores from The Last of Us and not paying attention to, like, the various rumors about The Mandalorian, it feels like, yeah, you're missing you're missing a lot. And they changed Ellie so she's not tiny and green anymore. That's a big <laughs> bummer for me from the game. But, but regardless, this is a show I wish had a main character. Because although, like, although, you know, like, we were saying, like, there's problems with Boba Fett and Obi-Wan, I, I appreciate those are characters, I, I can see Tamura Morrison's face and his face. He doesn't get a lot to do, but his face tells a story. And whenever Pedro Pascal's unmasked in the show, I, f I found it very engaging. Yeah, I don't I... know. I guess Grogu is the face of it. And he is a puppet who does not express too much. Well, his eyes are very big and very wide. I know, like, there's a lot of close-ups on his eyes. I notice they're getting a lot of mileage out of his yeah. eyes. I, I understand that. I mean, again, this is one of the things where I, I review these shows for The Escapists on occasion. And I remember writing something that sounded much meaner than I meant it to. It's one of those things where you write it and it makes sense and you read it back and it sounds really mean. Mm. I think it was I was talking about probably, I guess, uh, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. And it was like, goodness, it is amazing how effective it is to have a show where you can see the lead character's face. Mm. Like, it is amazing how much you you appreciate that after getting through three full seasons where the main characters spend most of their time wearing masks that render their faces inscrutable and their performances, like, hard to gauge. Like, I did struggle when this episode started and we saw, like, 
50 of these dudes with essentially the same face on a beach trying to make a kid also have no face for want of a better term <laughs> and like you said how can i connect to these guys getting eaten by a crocodile yeah i don't know any of them like again it's very telling that i'm like there's the armorer and the minigun guy neither of which are like descriptors of who they are as human beings or as mandalorians or as individuals it's just like no aside from that the most i know is now is one of them is jimmy kimmel's kid or something <laughs> and that is not an in-universe reason to care but do we think that Jimmy Kimmel's kid is on set or is it just a double with a mask? Oh, oh, don't even get me started. <laughs> do you think they went back afterwards and finished the ceremony? Like after they like took care of the giant like turtle creature, did they go back to the same lake and were like, that won't happen twice in the same day? There's no way. <laughs> Maybe they went to a different lake and another creature came out. <laughs> yeah. It's just a comedy of errors. So um, <laughs> that was a long-winded say of saying, I want Mando to lose that stupid mask. If this show's going to continue, I want to see him. And I think I said this at the end of season two, and I've gotten two more seasons of a show with him in. Yeah. It's like, I, I hope he leaves this cult and destroys our stupid mask. Again, like, like, it's amazing how, like, having Katie Sackhoff not wear a mask is a really mm. good choice. And you can tell that part of that is probably down to the fact that they had, like, Pedro Pascal and realized it's very hard to convince an actor who could be doing anything else to sign up to your show if your pitch is nobody will ever see your face. Like... I, I, for a, an interesting thing we said about earlier about Baby Yoda being kept secret, completely secret before the show started. Because my big hook going in was seeing Werner Herzog's in Star Wars because he's a man with a great face and a great voice where he could just yeah. sit there, say not a word, and you could read a thousand stories into him being in Star Wars. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, again, friend of the podcast, Richard Drum, is like just excited he has a Werner Herzog toy now, an action figure. Mm. And again, part of it's like, I feel like when I think of The Mandalorian, I think of Werner Herzog. I would like to see the baby. Yeah. Um, like, he, like, even more than Giancarlo Esposito, who also doesn't wear a mask, mm. but it's like, I think of Mandalorian and I think of Werner Herzog sitting at a table being ominous and like wondering, again, it's the same thing. It's a Jack Reacher effect where it's like, mm. you just put Werner Herzog in. And as you said, he has this very interesting face, this very interesting voice. And you pair the two of them together and it's amazing. And again, like the second season has the sequence where Mando takes off the mask and it's Pedro Pascal. And I remember watching that and being like, you know what? Pedro Pascal, pretty good actor. Pretty good yeah. actor. Like, yeah. We should maybe use this. If you have him in a show, you should maybe use that. But that's not, I'm not John Favreau. What do I know? But instead, the show has gone out of its way to slap us all on the wrist for enjoying him taking off his helmet. <laughs> <laughs> that the show is all about him paying the price for being Pedro Pascal. <laughs> it's, it is literally hard being Pedro Pascal. You took off the helmet. Now everyone's horny. Put it back on. <laughs> it's against the way of Mandalore. I'm part of, I'm also curious about like the fact that he shaves under the helmet. Like part of me is like, why wouldn't you just let facial hair grow? Nobody's gonna see it. But it'd be really uncomfortable, wouldn't it, to have like a big beard under that helmet? Maybe be like a cushion, I don't know. I don't know, I could see it being a little scratchy. Alright. It is true. well, I guess they can shave as long as they're on their own. They can take it off as long as no one sees them. <laughs> I, I know, but it seems like a lot of effort for something nobody's ever going to see. I mean, like, you and I, we, we've been to college. Like, there's a point where you just, you stop shaving. Because it's just more effort than it's worth. Yeah. But that's why I also stopped wearing my helmet. <laughs> I made the choice, Darren. 
Fair, you did leave Death Watch. Um, I did leave Death Watch. They were a problematic group. Uh, I guess. <laughs> what if we rebrand? What if we call it Life Watch? Um, like... Life Watch. What are they lifeguards? <laughs> well, I mean, the scene ship does start at Baywatch. It does start with a scene on a beach on a lakefront. <laughs> That's true. We could have used a Hasselhoff saving him from that crocodile. <laughs> Anyway, that's enough media crossover. I think we've uh, we've gotten through that. Let's go to some some of our listener questions. This could be fun. So uh, this is one from Rob Ailing, previous guest of the show. He asked, "Why didn't that young boy get a haircut before becoming a Mandalorian?" <laughs> let him enjoy his last day of get. Like, let him look what he look. Let him do what he wants before he gets you know hides his face forever. And presumably ends up in a choice that he can never walk back. Like, it seems mm. like a real commitment to make at a young age to be like, I am never going to show my face to anyone ever again. But I guess if you take it off, you do just get to leave and do whatever you want. You don't <laughs> actually get punished. It's fair. Like, do they have double lives? Is everybody, is like, is that the thing? Is Mando kind of like Worf from Star Trek, where he's the most Klingon Klingon and all the other Mandalorians are just like taking off their masks the weekend and going to like, gambling planets like just kind of cando bite like just kind of just rolling dice and having fun and come back on monday morning put their masks on and then pretend not to know each other that would be oh i like that that's kind of like a a reverse eyes wide shut orgy (laughs) yeah we can only do it when the masks are off (laughs) very very confusing uh i think the 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 answer is not in universe rob it is that this child is a nepo baby you cannot make a Nepo baby do anything they don't want to. Can we can we not label Jimmy Kimmel's poor child who probably made no conscious decision a Nepo baby? Would this kid be in this show if he was not Jimmy Kimmel's kid? Well, presumably a kid would, yes. But not him. Not him specifically. <laughs> no offense to him, but you, you know, he needs to know he's coming from a place of privilege. He's Jimmy Kimmel's he's ab- kid. He absolutely, absolutely is. He absolutely is, but he's also a kid and i'm hesitant to be like now you bear the sins of your father because let's face it jimmy kimmel has a lot to answer for (laughs) just jimmy kimmel or is jimmy fallon oh kimmel's kimmel's like okay i think he's kind of there fallon's the one who's kind of like ruffling trump's hair and it's like ah come on yeah kimmel's the one who did take the anti-trump stance and everyone was kind of surprised at how politically became in the early trump era if i remember correctly whereas fallon was like he should maybe just be nicer but also i don't want to alienate anybody yeah, uh, no, no offense to Jimmy Kimmel, but get your kid out of my Star Wars. What are you doing? <laughs> Taking roles from kid actors. I feel like the kid doesn't have any lines. <laughs> like I, I, feel, I feel like the outrage over this. Like, isn't we aren't quite at like the level of like, is it the like Avatar: The Last Airbender casting the financier's daughter in the second lead role? Um, I feel like the kid doesn't have any lines. It's okay. There's no like weight for the child to carry. It doesn't matter whether it's a good or bad performance. It's just something that's there. They were going to have to cast an extra anyway, and the extra was probably well, going to be. A- I'm not saying I'm not saying he shouldn't be in it, but I'm saying that's my explanation for why he didn't cut his hair. Yeah, good. Okay, fair point. But also, <laughs> that kid should be blacklisted. <laughs> he knows what he did. <laughs> <laughs> love the idea of Favreau just looming out of shot with an electric razor and then like Jimmy Kimmel just shaking his head and being like no it's like no the Kimmels yeah. don't roll that way so yeah yeah you put that toy helmet on his long hair <laughs> uh we've got another question this is from um co-host Dave I hey, just this question Dave. sorry 
Hey, co-host Dave. Oh, uh, this question just cracked me up, and it's, it's I don't know, is it bluntness or just randomness? He said, why are there dinosaurs everywhere? Because Star Wars. Well, I was going to say, Dave, it's because this happened a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Emphasis on long time ago. Yeah. yeah. Not fun, but factual. Like uh, everything in Star Wars. everyone We know Star Wars is a documentary, clearly, right? Yeah, this will happen. Uh, and finally, the question, the last question is from our listener, Jacob. Always delighted to hear from him. Who asks, has your opinions of the show changed at all coming off the back of Andor? And I would say no, not really. I'd say Andor is just like a really pleasant surprise that they'd make something like Andor. At the same time, they'd make something like this. So, you know, you kind of have them both to flick back and forth between. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, like, I, I think of Andor when I watch stuff that is like actively bad, like say the new season of Star Trek Picard. And I'm like, what? or plenty of the MCU streaming shows where I'm like, why can't all like franchises have something as good as Andor? But like Star Wars has something as good as Andor. It is called Andor. And it's like, I'm okay with this being what it is. Like, I'm okay with this being kind of silly, goofy space adventure Star Wars. And I think it's reasonably good at that. I think, again, as we've said throughout, the episode has a nightmare brief, but Favreau manages to like hit all of the items on the checklist that he needs to. Uh, maybe inelegantly in some cases, but he gets through it all, uh, you know, with with an efficiency that some of the other Star Wars shows lack. I would argue. You know what? You had a nightmare brief, but they keep this show also brief, and I think that helps. <laughs> it's only forty minutes long, which is nice. only forty minutes long, and a lot of it is credits. credits. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, nice or, or giant crocodile tur- crocodile turtle attacks. Seven minutes yeah. of this episode was a crocodile turtle attack. Do something. Uh, this is a side note. Something I really appreciate about. I think I. I don't know if Disney Plus shows do this generally anyway, but they never do a like at the end next time on. So it's always like a nice surprise. You never really know what you're going to get week on week. Yeah. I know very little about the season. I kind of didn't keep up with the marketing. So, and a lot of things I knew were going to be in it have already happened. One episode. <laughs> <in>. <laughs> That's that Favreau efficiency for you. Um, but yeah. I, I, again, like it, it's the weird thing where they manage to satisfy both like sides of the market where it's like for fans, as you said, the publicity is low key. They don't give out episode titles ahead of time. They don't give out screeners ahead of time, which helps contain leaks from, you know, certain uh, reviewers who are maybe less professional than they should be when handling with those materials. I'm not going to name any names, Mr. Campia. No, wait, that's too obvious. John. Um, But I do like that. So they manage to avoid all that stuff. As you said, there's no next time trailers, but I do like that while they do that, they're also very mindful of the fact that like while obsessives are going to like try and dissect all that stuff. And so it's fun to play with them and to hide stuff from them. They don't do that for regular audience members. So like when you're watching this, the previously on segment opens with IG 11. So, you know, the episode is going to feature IG 11. Like they don't get too smart with the hiding of spoilers, which I think is kind Mm. of nice. I think they tread a line really, really well, you know, where it's like, my dad understands the show, but also I don't know too much about it at the same time, which is nice. Wouldn't it have been hysterical if when they did the season finale of season two, they did the previously on and they just had clips of Luke in Return of the Jedi? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why they're bringing that up, I ask. I mean, no, like, part of, part of me is like they should do the opposite. They should, say, they should just like flood the previously on with a bunch of superfluous information. 
Um, that, yeah. like, so, so you don't know what previously on element is going to be relevant to the episode you're watching. It's like Bill Burr is in the previously yeah. on for some reason. Um, IG 11 is in the previously on Cara Dune is on, but her face is obscured through CGI. And it's like, which of these elements is going to come into play? Oh, the Kim's convenience guy who like got his own show torpedoed by that whole very, very sad Cara Dune thing, which I feel which really is, bad for. Which is funny. Cause I feel like they didn't change the script of writing out her leaving for that spin-off. They do just <laughs> yeah. say like, ah, I don't do anything. Which is, I don't know, I find that really interesting. I mean, they um, can still do it in Rangers of the High Republic. They just revealed that she had massive plastic surgery for her first undercover mission. She went, she used the face-off machine. Oh, I know be, you who, have... who, would, who would she face off with? Who would be a good person for that? <laughs> Gal Gadot is presumably employable at this point. Is she? I don't know. I don't know what's... Hey, man, don't ask me what's going on, DC. <laughs> okay, fair. Fair. It does also feel like, yeah, Gal Gadot is maybe not employable for the reasons that... Uh, yeah, there, there, there's other baggage with Gal Gadot. Um, My favorite tradition now is gathering around with friends to celebrate the new slate of DC movies that'll never be released. <laughs> the Authority looks like it'll be fun, right? Yo, that's that's gonna happen. I love the idea of like bringing Ben Affleck in to direct a new Batman movie that he's not starring in. I like there's some sort of weird, perverse kind of like almost cuckoldry like, or something. I, I was about to say it's like, it's, it's like it, I was about to say it does feel like a kink. It does yeah. feel like some sort of kink for everybody involved. And as long as it's consensual and everybody's enjoying it, I got no judgment. <laughs> it could be a good Batman movie. Oh, is he doing it? Or is that a rumor? I don't know. I that, I don't no, know that's real or not anymore. Uh, it, it's a rumor that he's directing it, but they are doing the Grant Morrison Batman and Robin run. Okay. Like, like again, like Was... the thing I like about the gun movies, none of which are going to happen, I need to be clear. But the thing that mm. I like about their pitches is that they're so weirdly specific in that they feel like the work of people who have actually read comics, whereas a lot of the Marvel stuff feels like somebody who read a, read a Wikipedia article about comics. Uh, whereas like he's able to go, no, we're doing, um, like we're doing the authority by Warren Ellis, a writer who has been cancelled, um, and Mark Millar, somebody who is perhaps a reputation as an edgelord. And it's like, that is something you do not do unless you really, really want to do an authority movie. Um, it's going to be directed by Frank Miller. He's back. <laughs> He's back, babe. The Batman movie, we've, we've shifted. We're not doing Batman and Robin. We're doing Holy Terror. Um, oh, God. Space Batman doing it. <laughs> Well, but you know, best of luck to James Gunn. I hope he still gets to direct films while yeah. being a, a studio mogul. It's a very weird career progression. Remember when he was his career was done? <laughs> I'm not saying that with glee. Just remember that. It's kind of it's kind of insane that that turned out to be like the best thing that ever happened to him. Where it was like getting like attacked by right wing trolls gets him out of Marvel, brings him over to DC where he makes a movie, but then. You know, Disney have like a change of heart and are like, let's bring him back and have him make his finish up his Marvel stuff. But also DC are like, okay, what if we make him the C, the chief creative visionary of our shared universe? It's an amazing like arc that I don't think anyone, including Gunn, could have predicted, particularly because he's relatively inexperienced. <laughs> like in terms of like he wrote for Troma for a bunch of times, but his like directorial credits before he made Guardians were what Slither and Super, right? Mm. That's it. Two movies. But he also wrote uh, Scooby-Doo. He did indeed. He did indeed. And Zack so, Snyder's Gone of the Dead. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I thought he was qualified. 
<laughs> that's fair. And a, and a bunch of trauma movies. Yeah. So I would love it if he does just turn DC into trauma for superhero <laughs> movies. My dream would be if Canon was still around and they got to make all their superhero stuff. Oh, we, we, we've talked about that. There is something yeah. very appealing about like not treating comic books as sacred texts, about treating them as the kind of things that are reprinted on pulpy paper, designed to be like read and just enjoyed for what they are, as opposed to being the cornerstone of a multi-billion dollar industry where uh, entire like corporations will tank if the new Ant-Man underperforms. A small nation will sink if yeah. quantum mania flops. Oh, but I don't know. I don't think it's flopped, has it? It's already made like no. most of its money back. So, no, it's that's, not, just that's, that's the weird thing industry. About, yeah, that's the weird thing about the whole Marvel stuff, where the the narrative is that they're they're failing or they're going through a dark page, and they, they kind of are. They're they're not what they were, but what they were was unprecedented. Where mm. like they, you know, what was it like between Thor Ragnarok and Black Widow? Only one movie released in that like seven year period or six year period failed to make a billion dollars. And that was Ant-Man and the Wasp. Like that is insane. That is an insane run to tell Mm. somebody to travel back to 2008 and tell people there will be a billion dollar Black Black Panther movie and a billion dollar Captain Marvel movie and just watch their kind of like reaction to that concept. It is surreal. And so like they say, go woke, go broke. Yeah, that's clearly what happened there, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, um, but like it's just weird that like now those movies are performing like regular movies, and everybody's having a panic attack where it's like they're making lots of money, they're in the top ten at the end of the year, but also they're not the highest grossing movies ever made anymore. It's an existential crisis. It's very strange. It's very strange, but you know what? We can stop talking about Star Wars, stop talking about Marvel, we stop talking about DC. Instead, we can talk about whatever we want because we can do some recommendations. Of things we've seen or anything. I stole this from your podcast, just so you know. I like doing it. So yeah, it's anything you've been enjoying. It can be food, drink, a book, whatever. <laughs> um, you can turn it into the show, you can leave it. <laughs> yeah. I, I liked Creed 3, um, which is just we're talking about something that's kind of nostalgic or revival, something that's been away for a while, because obviously Creed 2 came out quite a while ago before this whole pandemic thing. Uh, Watch Creed 3. Had a really, really great time with it. Um, I wholeheartedly recommend it. It is one of my favorite films of the year. Now, the the year hasn't had a particularly great start outside of Oscar fair, so that's a bit of a handicapped race, but it was, I think, um, really, really good. Majors is a phenomenal presence. Jordan is one of the most charismatic leading men working in film today, and he's very much taking his cues from anime as well. So it's got this kind of, like, energy that distinguishes it from the other Rocky movies, which is fascinating. Like, if you've... I I assume you've seen Creed. I assume you've seen, like, Coogler's Creed. I I am a massive rocky fan so i i'm up to date except for three i haven't i just haven't had time yet but like so like you know remember those early shots where it's Mm. all handheld and it's all long takes and those are breathtaking because they're like nothing the franchise has done before like Mm. jordan does something similar by taking his cues from anime where like at points characters punch each other so hard their muscles ripple and like sweat sweat flies off a person's back like it's like alien ships like evacuating a planet it's kind of amazing um so i would wholeheartedly recommend that i had a tremendous time i saw it in imax if you get a chance to see it in imax see it in imax uh in terms of like other recommendations like these are just things people have recommended before uh, i had a good time with cocaine bear i had a good time with uh megan <laughs> i didn't know where um, i was going after you said cocaine haven't come down yet i mean i feel like i'm gonna be like i'm invincible forever right um, <laughs> Sorry, but yes, that is, 
that is a shout out to that was shot in I believe was it Wicklow so that's a local production technically speaking yeah um, it's got um, Alden Elharak in yes because it's a Lord Connects Miller production yeah it's a oh, Lord I Miller production that. So it does feel like they're kind of trying to make it up to him somewhat. And it's also got a weird Americans reunion into it where it's got like Margot Martindale, Kerry Russell and Matthew Reese in it, um, which oh. is fast. Like it's a really odd Easter egg to spot in a movie about a bear that does cocaine, where it's like we managed to have a reunion of the cast of the Americans, <laughs> that prestige um, kind of 80s set television show about the Reagan era. Um, Joe, Matthew, Matthew Reese has a special place in my heart. Because he was the last guy Columbo ever caught. Ah. He was the killer in the very final episode of Columbo. Not a good nice. episode, but okay. you know, not well, not great. It's later day Columbo, but he's a, right. a nightclub owner, and he gets to be Welsh in it because apparently he he was going to do a Cockney accent, <laughs> and then, but then Peter Fox said, said to him like, "No, you know, you're not from London. I can tell." Stop the accent. <laughs> One more thing. Just, One more thing. Be from, just be from just be from Cardiff. One more, one more thing, you know, yeah. <laughs> you're not from London, are you? Um, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, so that those would be my recommendations. Those are things that I enjoyed. Uh, what about yourself? Nice. Well, I've got a, a recommendation. I've been watching a show. I don't quite remember the name. It's got Nick Offerman, and it's about dealing with the grief of losing a child. Oh, it's Devs, not The Last of Us. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. That was my joke. Ha <laughs> ha. Wasn't that great? Yeah, we're watching Devs yeah. at the moment. Which I've, I like devs. I love devs. Yeah, we're always, we've got two episodes left. We're going to finish it tonight. Really great sci-fi show. Very Alex Garland, yeah. yeah. Alex Garland, yeah. I, I haven't seen Men yet. I know people seem to really hate it from what I gathered, but I'm very curious now because I love all his other stuff. Like, men are problematic. This. Men, are, men yeah. are hashtag problematic. I mean, you know. Yeah, it's... well. That's why I, 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 I like Men. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I like no, Men. I... Yeah, I'm curious to hear it. Like, you're a man. You love men. I'm a man. <laughs> I mean, I've got to be open about it. I'm going to announce that I'm here on this podcast that I love men. I'm very open about it. I'm a man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah finally there's... something I can relate to on screen. It's like, finally, <laughs> white men. Straight white men are getting their moment in pop culture. <laughs> Rory Kinnear. Finally seeing myself reflected on screen. None of this Adonis, like, male kind of, like... <laughs> Epitome, like yeah. you know, Ryan Gosling, like Chris Evans stuff. Put like put Rory Kinnear on screen and there's a man that I'm like, yeah, that's achievable. Well, Michael B. Jordan is literally the Adonis male now. These screen really? movies. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I'm absolutely loving the show because I have to treat. I only subscribe to Disney Plus when there's a Star Wars thing I want to watch because I'm not I'm not into Disney films generally. And a lot of the Marvel stuff I just see whenever. I don't really care now. So I have to treat when I'm subscribed to Disney Plus, like Star Wars is my dessert. So I try to have a bit of like <laughs> devs of the Americans. It's like, I need my vegetables. I need my sustenance. You realize so, you could just continue subscribing to Disney Plus and watch those things when there aren't new Star Wars, right? But there's just too many streaming services. I, I really need to cut it down because I need Prime for work, for deliveries and stuff. And yeah, that's enough about my life, I suppose. It's but I do, I do love that like Prime is like take an entire studio as like a bonus at the checkout counter. It's like an entire yeah. Hollywood system, but it comes with free postage, and that's what you're interested in. It's like Apple, where it's like you buy an Apple product, yeah, you got our Apple TV on there. It's like how is they this financially viable? Yeah, they keep giving me Apple TV. They give me five five months of it. My bank gave it to me. It's just like thanks yeah. for being 
<laughs> Thanks for being part of our bank. I was like, oh, cool. I finally watched Severance. And I did, and that was great, too. I think good. I already recommend it. it very, that and Devs make for a fun double bill, actually. Because <laughs> yeah. that's what we watched right before Devs. <laughs> um, and I mean, like there, again, like Apple has some really good stuff on there. There was yeah. like, is it Ted Lasso? There was, uh, I mean, I, Hello Tomorrow is quite decent at the moment and stuff. Um, yeah. yeah. For all mankind, have you watched that? I have not, because that seems oh, very time commitment to Oh, it's really good, though. Ronald B. Moore. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Ronald I think, D. Moore. I think you dig it. Oh, Ronald D. Moore. Yeah. Yeah. D. Moore. Ronald Uh-oh. B. Moore was the production Fake designer. Fan. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, then again, like Prime has an upcoming Dead Ringers adaptation. Which is interesting. Oh, Rachel Vice, Karen Kasuma, yeah, Sean Durkin. I, don't know. The old, I think the only Prime originals I've watched are The Boys and Rings of Power. Okay, I, I can't think of was was there any other big ones that they did? Where people are like this is great. Um, I, but I mean, there are lots of small ones that people like, like Don, like Undone, which is the rotoscope of oh, oh. Kirk. I thought I watched it, and then I realized it is second <laughs> season. <laughs> I thought you were about to say, I thought I watched it, but then it was just Better Call Saul. Yeah. <laughs> I just watched that with uh, filters on. <laughs> yeah. Just through a Snapchat screen. Yeah. Um, okay, well, I would recommend Undone then, if you're if you're looking for that. I mean, they, they have like little things that occasionally generate controversy, like Hunters, which is the Al Pacino Nazi hunting show. Oh, yeah. Which is a Why whole... It's a whole bucket of things. Uh, there's kind of like it's it's kind of the Jewish revenge fantasy of like Inglorious Bastards, but without like the self awareness of Inglorious Bastards. So it gets into a whole bunch of stuff that the show is maybe not ready to unpack about like the idea of like maybe exacting vengeance on the people who harmed you is something that like scars you and and le- wounds everybody involved, or maybe it's just something that's really fucking cool. Hmm. Well, that's that's a big question for the week, but here on this show we we construct statues of IG eleven atop the skulls of his foes. So we've made our position. Using the remains of IG eleven. The only way to truly remember someone is to hoist their corpse in the (laughs) middle of the street. It's about to say it's like if you crack open one of those statues of like, I don't know, fucking um what's Nelson and discover the bones inside. Like when they were toppling all those statues, and it's like there are some weird bones in here. That is my dream. I hope that happens in history, in near history. Oh my god, the Lincoln statue is giant bones. <laughs> the top hat is real. Yeah. Oh my god. Anyway, we got to get out of here. This Sorry. has gone into insane territory. Um, so, Darren, uh, do you have any plugs? Anything to wrap up with? Yeah, I mean, um, I'm, I'm at uh, Darren underscore money on Twitter. You can find me there plugging all my stuff. I'm at The Escapist, uh, which is a pop culture website where I do a bunch of stuff there. So I publish uh, in the frame columns on Mondays and Fridays looking at pop culture, major franchises. So tomorrow I'll be talking about uh, anime and Creed 3. On Friday, I'll probably be talking about Scream 6. Uh, on Monday week, I'll be talking about The Last of Us and its portrayal of violence. Uh, on Wednesdays, I do Out of Focus, which takes a look at kind of more indie, more out there stuff. So we'll be talking about in the coming weeks stuff like, say, Succession, for example. Um, stuff like, say, Scream 4, looking back at Wes Craven's last movie and why that is an underrated masterpiece. And we've already discussed things like Magic Mike and Tar, uh, which are both really, really great fun. Um, and also I co-host... Was a like in a movie together, which I love. <laughs> <laughs> tell me you wouldn't watch that crossover um we're like I would love tar, that crossover 
Tar is like conducting for like Magic Mike's live show in London, and you have this kind of clash of very two very different philosophies at work. Um, that would be an interesting exploration of cancel culture. He's like, this is going to be my last <laughs> dance, but I need the best composer in the world yeah. to do it. No, she's problematic. <laughs> well, again, like it, it does feel like the alternate ending of Tar would have been that. Like the the, 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 the last shot of Tar is amazing and incredible and don't want to ruin it. But it does feel like you get the same effect if the last shot of Tar was her conducting the orchestra during the Magic Mike strip show at the climax of Magic Mike's last dance. You get the same kind of effect, I think. Um, and yeah, in terms of other stuff, I co-host podcast with my good friend Andrew Quinn. You've been on uh, the 250. Uh, mm. You've talked about a bunch of stuff like, say, The Batman, and you talked about Superman 4. Uh, we had you on for a bunch of stuff. It's been great fun. Uh, we'll hopefully have you on again soon. Uh, as Ooh. this is coming out, uh, the week that this is released, we are going bi-weekly at the start of the year just to give a chance to build our backlog. So a week after this is released, we'll be talking about Apocalypse Now with the wonderful Brian Lloyd for Entertainment.ie and the fantastic Alex Towers from When Irish Eyes Are Watching. Uh, it's a fun, quite long, quite involved discussion of a movie where absolutely nothing bad or unpredictable happened at all during the production. It's not all thorny to discuss. So if you like podcasts, if you like podcasts that are very long, I'm hoping if you got to this point in this episode, you do like podcasts that are very long, you might enjoy the 250. Well, that sounds like a good episode, but I'll wait for the redux. <laughs> the final cut. No, you need to wait for the final cut. Oh, I'll wait for the final cut. I need I need more of you guys sat in a French plantation for an hour. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, I suppose that wraps us up for the first episode of season three of The Mandalorian. I don't know why I'm speaking like that all of a sudden, but you can follow me on Twitter at NiallTheGlynn and on Letterboxd at NiallGlynn. And you can follow The Mandalorians on Twitter at Mandalorians. Whether you use Anchor, Spotify or Apple Podcasts, subscribe and follow us. It all helps. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Even if you don't like the show, just say it because it's you know, I, like, I like the engagement. As long as it's not for weird reasons. Like, you don't want Tara and Magic Mike to team up. Don't tell me that. Uh, so we can finally... It's, it's been is a while. Niall Daddy is a question, I think, for the internet. Uh, well, I don't want that hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> well, they might be talking about Niall Horan at this point. Who knows? But uh, we can finally go back to what we used to sign off with, which is probably a cliche now, but this is the way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way.